Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. And my name's Kazen. This is the fifth episode of our Xenogears analysis. And um, today we played up from when you rendezvous with the Yggdrasil all the way to uh, when you go to Bledovic uh, on the, uh, the attempt to rescue Margie. Yeah. But we stopped right as Bart got right into there. the room with Margie. There's a save point right yes. in the room. We do, so we got Margie now, we saved, and that's where we stopped. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the hard stopping point on this one. Um, I've been doing a bad job so far of letting people know where to play a ahead of time. time. So, and even now, <laughs> I just hard, realized man. I forgot it's to like check where, again. Yeah. But I will check it before we wrap up this episode, and at the end, I will say where to play up to next okay. time. So it will be in this episode, I promise. So, um, yeah, we left off right when they got onto the Yggdrasil. So the Yggdrasil is the sand cruiser, pirate ship, submarine, sand submarine yes. <laughs> that Bart uses to go around uh, stealing tech and gears from Ave and Kislev. Um, and so we're on that cruiser and they're heading back to his, uh, his little pirate secret hideout place. Yeah, the secret hideout. And... Um, there's a couple of um, interesting pieces of dialogue you can get from different people, um, like uh, his his like butler character Mason. M Mason, yeah, Mason. <laughs> like takes up he he calls it like a part time job or part time work. Yes. On the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what uh, is it? He's a teacher. Or yeah, a like because he was he was so concerned that the 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 rough types of people, yeah. the pirates that. The young master is hanging out with. They're gonna have a bad yes. influence. He on called him. them. He calls them uh, bar bar. He I, starts to say barbarian. He starts to say then barbarian. He cuts himself off. Yes, I mean the uh, <laughs> the young people, the energetic young folks. Energetic right? young folks. Yeah. Yeah, I put a little note there on that. He uses the word he was using for a barbarian was uh, yaban. Which remember how the main ish, I suppose, bad guy of this game yeah. is called yabe. Yeah. Well, yabai meaning dangerous, but right. yaban. Um, meaning he was starting to say like the super dangerous kinds of people, but Yaban was the bar. I thought it was just Barbaria. I didn't think that he, I thought he was making <laughs> up a word right there. The Barbaria, I mean the young folks. Um, I, I thought okay. that that was it. So I looked it up and it was Yaban, the, the dangerous people. The right? dangerous people. Yeah. The pirates. So anyways, he like insisted on this particular room being, uh, you know, uh, decorated in the way that it is, or um, mm. <clears throat> a place where he could give him some education or something like that. Yeah. But in order to do that, it's it's a weird line because he's like, "But I had to take a part-time work," and he's kind of it's a bar, <laughs> so he's kind of serving yes. drinks or something. Yes, or he's at a bar. I'm not yeah. sure exactly, but he sells you like aqua salts and things. So I'm not sure yeah, yeah. exactly what he's doing, but he's he's a teacher, he's, he's there. a butler, and he's a bartender. But it, it gives me the assumption that like he had to invest his own money into <laughs> yeah. doing this. And that's why he had to yes. take up extra work. Like Bart was like, okay, fine, you can do that or something. But uh, you're going to your pay own for it yourself. Your own dime, man. <laughs> Old man. If you're going to refit that room, because it's a gun room, I think is like the name of that room. Mm. But anyways, I found, thought that was funny. That but you go funny. downstairs from there into the engine room, and this is where there's a really interesting piece of dialogue from some of the like engineers down there. Mm -hmm. uh, they say, once again, final checks, every second counts, the young master forever, and then this is the, the good part. 
When we had engine trouble a long time ago, the young master jumped in to fix it. Sigurd tried to help the young master and they both ended up injuring one eye. Yes. Uh, we are proud of the young master, but sometimes he rushes into things. The chief thinks it's all his own fault. So this is like, <laughs> explains how Sigurd and Bart each have like an eye yeah, patch. Yeah. It's not just so that they look like pirates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I, I feel like it is so that they'll look well, like they did, pirates. When they were drawing the character, <laughs> he's exactly. like, it's a pirate, so draw him with an eye patch. But they it, have a written world explanation Yeah, so they for, decided yeah. to justify the design, yes. right? Which is, which is fun, it's interesting. It's funny how everyone respects Bart so much, and going into it, you don't, it doesn't really make sense, because yeah. what we know of Bart is that He's he's not super smart. He's not super. I don't know. He's he just seems like kind of, kind of kind of uh, dumb and what's the word like headstrong and he just gets himself into trouble and, yeah, and by proxy things. gets everyone else into trouble too. Yeah, just kind of. And, um, but they just like respect him a lot. Even yeah. Still. Yeah, like he. Well, as we're gonna learn here in a minute. He's, yes. He's the 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 heir to mm -hmm. Ave's throne. Uh, so he's the prince. Um, yeah. So he has retainers and things from his time there who are like caring for him now. This is Sigurd exactly, and Mason exactly. and stuff. But in fact, Mason kind of starts mentioning it. He says, in fact, back at, oh, we, uh, what is it? We, instead of in this junk heap, we ought to be back at the palace. And yeah. We're like, back at the palace. He's like, oh, I'm old. <laughs> this is an excuse every old person in this entire game gives for any time they saved anything, really. They just say, oh, I'm just an old man. Don't, <laughs> don't listen to, to <laughs> don't listen to old people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so but he has, yeah, you're right. He's, he's got, I think he has, he shows like, promising leadership skills and he's yeah. very like he's got a good heart and that he wants to help people like these pirates don't go around killing people right it's like a whole yes, thing yeah. they they plunder and they yes. like they steal but they don't hurt anybody they don't mm -hmm. kill people mm -hmm. and so like he's an honorable pirate <laughs> but he's 18 so he's young so yeah, yeah he hasn't like developed the maturity maybe or some of the wisdom that comes with experience. So it's like everyone can see the potential in him. Yeah. But he's not quite there. Yeah, the not hence, quite hence, there. young master is what they call him. Right, so. exactly. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, yeah, you can kind of go around the ship. You can, uh, I think I think we might have mentioned this in the last episode, like you can go into where like the doctor is at and get weighed. Yes. Like Faye can weigh himself. And Yeah, they can weigh. Uh, you can buy gear parts. I really mm -hmm. like in the hangar, um, when you first enter there, you have the really small version of the sprites. That's really cool. Running around. That's really super cool. Yeah, I really yeah, loved I it. I loved it. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh man, this is great. Because I think you mentioned in um, one of the last uh, podcasts we did, but the camera is just a little too zoomed in yeah. on the characters. And that's partly so they don't have to render as many polygons. Yes, probably true. Uh, but it's a little too much there. Um, but having a zoomed out, as soon as you're small, walking around these huge mechs and stuff. It's easier it, to it, see. You see everything around you, you see where you're going, and yeah. you can see the scenery, and it looks really cool. Yeah. So anyways, uh, the, the Yggdrasil heads from that point back to the lair, the pirate's lair, the pirate's hideout yeah. um, area. And as soon as you arrive there, Mason asks you to kind of follow him, and he's gonna give you uh, some background what's going on. Of mm -hmm. course, you could go around talking to people, and they all have you know, interesting dialogue and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like a lot of people, there's tons of rooms and it's yeah. it's pretty cool, you can... Yeah, there's some people in there who talk about uh, Shakan, who is the prime yes. minister, the current prime minister of Ave. Yes. And, you know, their hatred or, or, or um, 
uh, resentment of him for mm -hmm. having like usurped the throne. From yeah, because he's father. the one who plotted the assassination, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, according to them, according, according to, to them, the yeah. pirates, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I I would assume is true. <laughs> Shakan basically took over the government. Yeah. And Bart, you know, was uh, well officially was declared dead of an illness, mm -hmm. but in reality they're hiding him yeah. away, right? So uh, he went into hiding, and uh, they're kind of plotting if at possible at some point that they'll be able to kind of reclaim the throne for Bart. Yeah, that's the idea. And the most, idea. I'd say everyone, all the pirates kind of know it. That's yeah. kind of their whole purpose. And a lot of them are dissenters from like Ave's army or yes. something like that. Yeah, that's You'll true. talk to some of them and they'll be like, yeah, you know, I was in the Ave army. I, I got like, you know, disenfranchised by what was, what was going on there. So I joined, you know, this crew. Mm -hmm. And then he's, he's like, there's like a Kislev, a former Kislev soldier dissenter who he's talking mm -hmm. to there. And he's like, yeah, he was once my enemy and we fought each other, but isn't that weird how it works? Like, we're <laughs> yeah. really not that different. So, right. lots of great dialogue from NPCs. I would say that's one of the great strengths of the game, actually, is the, the NPC dialogue is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's very good. It's it, it gives you a lot of good context, but not in like the FF8 way, where it's like really key and you must have this to and understand the story. you have to talk to everyone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's it, not quite. But it fills out the world mm -hmm. in the way that uh, makes it just kind of come alive, makes it feel lived in, makes these people yeah. feel like they're genuine parts of the world. They have their own cares and worries. Um, I and actually it rewards you for exploring too, which is yes. cool, which I love. I love the exploration aspect of most most any game, and especially when we get to the city, but also you know in the hideout, um, you you are you want to just go around and talk to everybody because yeah. you find out more stuff. It's you don't necessarily have to do it, but it's rewarding. Yeah, and I, I actually just remembered that, I mean, I'll probably note this again when we get to this place later in the game. I remember this was the first time where I thought, the NPCs here, they, they've really put, like, a lot of attention into, like, making you feel like these are real human beings, not just, like, a, a vehicle mm -hmm. to tell you where to yeah, go for the next yeah. quest. Right. Or like, haven't you heard <laughs> this thing that you need to know yes, to yes. point you in the direction of the castle to go talk to this guy? Right. It's like they feel more human than that. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I just really love the NPC dialogue. So there's a lot of great dialogue. Make sure to talk to everybody uh, here in the Pirate's Hideout. Um, but one thing that I've noticed and, and I was thinking about, uh, talking about in, in previous episodes, which I just haven't gotten to, but um, uh, which I am going to talk about now, <laughs> is the way that Saitan talks. Um, right. In particular, he does not use any contractions. So he will say, it is, rather than it's. It's. Or yep. should not, rather than shouldn't. Mm -hmm. or, or let us. Let us instead of let's. Instead of let's, yeah. Right. Yeah. He never uses contractions. Yeah. Now, I, I f when I was reading this and I was doing this stream uh, with, our, with our $10 patrons, I was like, there has got to be a trope for this because I've seen it a lot. It's mm -hmm. like whenever there's supposed to be a very intelligent person in an RPG, like a scientist or something mm -hmm. like that, or you know, somebody who's supposed to be really intelligent or really smart, they don't use contractions as if like that is an indicator of their intelligence or something. And mm -hmm. it really bothers me because that's not true. <laughs> like you, like go listen to Carl Sagan give a speech or go, li you know, meet Yokaku or some yeah, professor yeah. or whatever. They still use contractions because it's efficient 
language. It's a fi an efficient way to speak. Mm -hmm. And it's how we speak. It's human. It's like part of our culture. It's part of our language, right? So not using contractions kind of like makes someone feel very mechanical. And so we actually found that there is a trope for this on TV tropes called Spock speak. Oh, and and it, it comes from Star Trek, which is... Oh, of course. Which is makes complete sense because mm -hmm. in Star Trek the trope is used in a way where it's kind of integral to the character. Right, he's not human, right? Well, yes. Yeah, he's he's, not he's Vulcan. Yeah. And he's totally uh, removed, not removed, but they they have very tight control. They're very repressive of their emotions. Right, right? yeah. And the whole show kind of like has this dynamic of Kirk, Spock and and uh, and the doctor who yeah. the doctor's very emotional. And Kirk is kind of like the balance between the hyper-rational Spock, mm -hmm. the overly emotional... I'm going to look up his name because it's going to sound like I don't The know. Doctor. Yeah, I think Carl Urban plays him in the new Doctor Star Trek movies. Star right? Trek. That's a fetching name, gosh dang it. Yeah, Carl Urban's character. McCoy! McCoy. Okay, let's do that again. Okay. So it's, it's McCoy who is the kind of overly emotional... And then Spock, who is the uh, hyper-rational, and Kirk, who's kind of like the balance of the two, able to like yeah. pull the ideas from both of his advisors and like make the right decision, mm -hmm. right? So it's about finding the, 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 the humanity in that is to find like the right balance between the two. And Spock is really separate and, and has a hard time understanding humans and always right. talking about how fascinating it is, right? And he's yeah. very logical. Now, very logical. He's trying where, to be. He's trying to be uh, very dignified as well. Where I think it's used even better is in the next generation, uh, the following Star Trek series, mm -hmm. where Data is sort of like the replacement of the Spock character. He's an mm -hmm. android. Oh and right, so yeah, yeah. He's trying to study and incorporate and become more human-like. He's trying to like observe human behavior mm -hmm. and be more human himself. Right. Um, but, and this is, you know, I don't want to get too deep into the Star Trek lore stuff, but he, he, there's a reason why he can't do that and say his brother android lore can. Hmm. But he has some limits to his programming, and so it's very difficult for him to overcome this. So he's very mechanical and robotic in how he speaks. So he never uses contractions. Hmm. Works perfectly there. Makes him an endearing character as well. Right. But I think the fact that both of these characters are very intelligent, rational thinkers, has sort of, it, it was taken and it's, it's sort of become like, oh, because they're intelligent and rational, they don't use contractions. Like, no. It's, it's a sign of their intelligence. Right. It's yeah. not a sign of their intelligence. Right, right, it's right. a sign of their lack of humanity. <laughs> oh, sure. It's okay. their separation yeah. from being able to understand and bond with the human characters. Hmm. It's meant to be a reflection of their struggle there. Sure. But <laughs> in a lot of these games, and I, I couldn't, like name any examples off the top of my head, but I just, I just feel like it's something I've seen before. Mm. It's like they're using that as a sign of someone's intelligence, and I feel like that's what yeah. they're doing with Saitan, and it's a little bit, that makes his dialogue read clunky to me. Um, so I'm gonna read what this says here. Spock speak is a dispassionate, precise, and technical way of speaking, indicating the speaker's distance from human society. That's the important part. Sure, sure. But also gives the sense that the speaker is very smart common for aliens, robots, people from the past or future, geniuses, and or people from stereotypically formal cultures, similar to robo-speak. Um, 
So uh, it has some examples here. Excessively rigid adherence to proper word use and grammar. That's fine. I, I think that that would be, that's perfect for Saitama. Mm -hmm. It's the total or near total avoidance of contractions, <laughs> except when the actor forgets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is strange. And because Saitan, atop from being a very intelligent man, and is still, it seems to me, a very well-adjusted person, not like a socially awkward person. Right. Not he, someone he who makes, struggles. He has friends all over the world. Yeah. It's not like he's um, somebody that people can't feel close to. Yeah, he's very human. Yeah. And he's very, he has no mm. problem connecting with people. And yeah. he's just wise and intelligent and... Uh, I don't know, I guess um, formal, mm -hmm. but he's, but anyways, I feel like the lack of, con or the, the total absence of contractions in his speech actually doesn't make sense for his character. I don't like it. Yeah, I didn't even notice it until, I, I wonder if um, maybe you'd noticed it earlier because you're, if you're streaming it, you might be yeah, saying some of it out, it out loud. loud. Yep. Anytime you say, let us, like, a, <laughs> here's a Satan line here, let us hurry to the meeting place. Well, yeah. Yeah, I can read it and just keep going, right? Yeah. But I, if I say it, now it's like, let us, let us go, please. Let us go forth. Like, it yeah. just sounds wrong. It sounds weird. Yeah. And it's not technically wrong, but it is wrong per the, per the way humans speak. It doesn't feel efficient Yeah. when speaking. Yeah. When you can just say, let's go, instead of let us go, right? Or it is done. It is done. <laughs> or it's just, it can be... It sounds mechanical. Yeah, it does. Right. And the funny thing is, in the Japanese, as I look this up here, um, it doesn't really exist. He's not speaking yeah. very in a in a very unusual manner in Japanese, but he is speaking formally. Yeah. But not excessively formal. It's mm. not like he's speaking or he's acting as though he's speaking to royalty or as if he himself is royalty and only participates in this high speech. Mm. He's giving like a normal, it's the typical type, like if anyone here knows Japanese, it's masu and desu and you know, masho, mashita. It's that form that is considered polite, but it's yeah. not like super polite. It's just if you meet someone on the street, it's that's what you would use. You would say that. And if it's a stranger, you use that form because you don't really know how else to do it, but it's not like de, de gozaimasu, or it's not any of, it's not super formal, right? Sure. Like as if you were speaking to somebody. So it's not that strange in Japanese. I don't know why um, Honeywood, Honeywood, Honeywood made it strange in English. Yeah, decided to yeah. make him but, have no contractions in his speech. But I will say, and this is just a product of the characters that we have, they're all very young, they're all fighting like every, no one else speaks in for, under formally. Nobody else speaks as politely so and even though Satan isn't being that polite, he's quite a bit more polite than everyone else. Than Barter Fay. <laughs> than Barter, yeah, Barter <laughs> Fay. Especially those two, and that's the majority of the dialogue I'm comparing it to. But even random people in the town, they're saying, you know, they, they will use just typical, yeah, like, uh, you know, Yameru, or this one here, uh, you know, Da. They just use Da instead of Desu. Like, that's... That is um, just how everyone speaks, so that's considered standard. So in that sense, the way he's mm. speaking is more polite. Uh, but in a normal, you know, Japanese sense, it's not that super crazy polite, you know. Yeah. So it shouldn't, I don't think Honeywood did the right thing. But at the same time, I don't want to be too hard on him because politeness levels are really hard to convey in a different language. Yeah. So, so to the extent that Satan is speaking differently from everyone else, 
Like yeah. he's not like so he is different. It, it's not weird in Japanese the way he made it weird in English, but it is different. And I think Honeywood's trying to convey that difference. Like Satan is speaking differently. And how how else would you do that? And yeah. English doesn't have it. And the Japanese kind of make fun of the English because of this. Like everyone's always informal and you could be talking to the god and you're just going to be informal and like it doesn't even matter and because the americans are rude in general and it's kind of it's it's a half truth right yeah. it's it's mostly true we do technically have formal speech it's the king james sure shakespearean it's the thou and the thou we yeah. just don't know one freaking uses it <laughs> nobody uses it not anymore um but uh in japan they it's still very much a thing so if they had satan speaking the thou type of King James English, that'd be even weirder. That'd be, so, even, that'd be weirder. So yeah. to the extent that this is kind of a middle ground, a, a weird middle ground, but a sort of middle ground between King James and colloquial modern English, I feel like it's so hard to nail down that middle ground, but that is what he was going for because it's not crazy polite, but it is different. It's different enough. And this way it was different. I, yeah. I don't know that we needed it, but. I guess just to leave off on this, because I don't want to talk about it forever, but I, I feel like maybe you could do that by just having him have like a large vocabulary. Using, using words. bigger that, words. Just bigger words. But I don't know, that's hard when you're translating, right? Like, you have I to, know. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. I, like, I think uh, that there's probably just a hard compromise to make there to try to retain that to some degree. But mm -hmm but not change the words too much. It's a general challenge amongst anyone translating to English from Japanese. Yeah. Is, and, and sometimes you'll be watching, um, I watch a lot of Korean dramas, and every now and then they'll just put in parentheses, polite speech. Because <laughs> 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 how else do you convey it? Yeah. And sometimes it's part of a joke. Well, people are like, yeah. did you speak rude to me? And then people just say yo at the end, and it makes it polite in Korean. And then, but you, you just can't convey that. So they just put in parentheses, <laughs> speaking politely, speaking yo, polite. and that's it. So it's that's just funny. like really funny. Yeah. So anyways, just something that was bothering me a little bit as I was reading the dialogue, but. But by the way, that um, is not the right way to do it, to do the parentheses polite speech oh, thing. Sure. I'm not advocating that. I think that's not the right way to do it. You should convey it within the text. Yeah. It's just hard to do. Um, so once you do follow Mason up to, uh, I, I guess it's like a, I'm not sure what the, it's not like a kitchen, but it's like a place where he's serving him tea and they're kind of <laughs> sitting down and talking, right? I, the way the tea just floats up. <laughs> yeah, they did, because the tea, oh, the tea gosh. cup is 3D. Yes, the it is. The character is a 2D sprite. Yeah. So it's kind of like, how would you animate? A hand grabbing it and lifting it. That's true, because the sprite would just go sideways. It can't go yeah. forward. I, I would, at that <laughs> I just don't do it. <laughs> just don't animate it or incorporate within a sprite animation as if he's holding it. I don't know. I thought it was kind of charming. It was charming. floating up to his face. <sighs> about that again. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I love this. The limitations of the PS1. <laughs> but one of the reasons I love the limitations is because of how creatively people can get around oh, those limitations right, to like make that. things look good still. Sure. And I don't think that that worked, <laughs> out. worked out quite as well. <laughs> they do it like multiple times too. Um, so, yeah, and you touched on this a little bit. Mason sort of is, um, I don't know, speaking without reservation and he slips up a little bit. Right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, you know, if things were normal, we'd be back at the palace right now. And, and then it's the Saitan like, jumps on that, like, yeah, back at the palace. Uh, he's he, like, oh, he's sharp. whoops, I... I'm old. <laughs> Let's slip, don't worry about it. But then as soon as Saitan <laughs> basically eggs him on again, he's like, you know, I noticed there's a certain yeah. bearing 
uh, that the, oh, the yeah. that the young one possesses. Right, and he just rushes to that. Oh, you noticed? You noticed? That's so great! Like, yeah, thank yeah. you for saying that. Yes, he's the prince of Ame. I know. <laughs> I didn't think that we would find that out for a while. I was like, oh no, Mason just introduced a new mystery for us to. Oh, the mystery solved. Okay. <laughs> he was like begging to talk about it, anyways. Uh, but anyway, so he starts to go. It, it basically explained the exposition behind um, what happened at Ave. Um, yeah, yeah. And Shakan's sort of like takeover, Bart having you in the hiding, that the fact that the, the official position or what the public knew was that the, the prince died at a young age of an illness, but that's yes, not really yeah. what happened, obviously. Now, and then he, he has a sister as well that we learn. Not a sister, a cousin. Oh, a cousin. Margie, I thought it was Margie's his first cousin. Oh, dang. I read yeah. that wrong. Interesting. Um, from Nissan. Okay, yes. Uh, who yes. is the, uh, like the, the holy mother or something of, of Nissan. She has some kind of position in the church at Nissan there. Hmm. Um, but she's been captured. And so eventually this conversation leads to the, the, the essentially revealing that her, Margie, and Bart each have a piece of a relic uh, called the yeah. Fatima Jasper. The Jasper. I looked this up. A jasper is like a, a piece of quartz, basically, yes. like a different colored, like it's a stone. It's like I a had no idea what they were stone. talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so Fatima or Fatima is the the royal lineage. It's like the royal name. So Bart mm -hmm. Bart's last name is Fatima, right? So the yeah. Fatima line of kings um, that established that like set up the country of Abe. Um, and so these two pieces of the jasper. Um, come together and reveal, or are like a key to um, a great treasure that nobody knows what it is. Hmm. But Bart suspects it is a, a gear, like a really powerful gear. Right. Yeah. And this is where Gebler is getting involved, and and mm -hmm. uh, and Shakan Everyone's himself looking. and Ave, they're looking for this gear. Yeah. They, they need the Jasper to find it. And what was it? There was. Um, well, Bart has like a an ancient scroll or something that yeah. mentions something about how right. it all started. We'll get there. But. So before we go there though, I did want to mention, and this is just, I talked about this a lot in my uh, Final Fantasy 13 discussion series, right? Mm -hmm. uh, dialogue and, and uh, in particular like repetition and dialogue. So I I just, I was kind of laughing because as, as Mason is explaining this, Saitan keeps pestering him about piracy the whole time. <laughs> He's to be, uh, yeah, so we left <laughs> to become pirates. Da, da, da. <laughs> it's and Mason's like, like, well, yeah. Three times in this conversation, three beats, where Saitan brings up piracy. So he's like, then why must the prince, the rightful heir, resort to piracy? And then Mason tries to explain. And he's like, and part of those plans would include piracy? And then like, and he was explaining some more. He's like, and the piracy. <laughs> he just like kept hounding him on piracy. Well, and I think it's because Mason, Mason was kind of avoiding it a little bit because it's not until that last part where he yeah. said, yeah, we're actually gathering weapons and people to like attack and put him back on the throne. Yeah. And that's like kind of the idea. Like we're going to forcefully like yeah. put him back on the throne and we need stuff to do that, right? But yeah. I don't think he said that right up front. So, because Saitan was just not getting it. Like, why are you pirates? I, I think you're right. I think you're right in that, yeah. like, in this particular instance, it's like Mason is kind of dancing around it a little bit, not being, like, fully transparent. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, we actually are just trying to balance the power between Kislev and Ave. Mm. You know, like, I agreed with the prince that we just needed a yeah. third force to come in to, like, keep 
you know, the power level in mm. check between the two or else more people will suffer. Yes, yeah. But it's like, but, you know, and he keeps pestering him about piracy. But anyways, I have this clip uh, from Robert McKee because I, I started to laugh in the playthrough um, at one point. It's just like, he just keeps talking about piracy, like won't let it go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so um, I'm, I'm gonna play this clip a little bit or edit in a couple parts in, into, the, uh, into the video here to talk about this particular dialogue-like rule about like repetitiousness and like how it can, there's a law of diminishing returns. If you repeat yes. beats yes. too many times, it drags it out the effect. dialogue, it yes. loses its effect, it mm -hmm. starts to sound funny instead of being serious. Yes. And so I'm just gonna play this clip from Robert McKee real quick. Repetitiousness means that the same beat is said and done again and again and again in virtually the same words. Now a beat, of course, is a pattern of action, reaction in human behavior. One character takes an action, the other character then reacts to that, this other action, another reaction, and this pattern of action, reaction, action, reaction, we call beats. Character A says, leave me alone. Character B says, no, I have to talk to you. Character A, just let me be, character B, it's really important that you listen. Character A, I want to be left alone. Character B, no, you have to hear what I've got to say. One way to solve that problem, some writers would think, is to simply vary the language, to create synonyms for the words or the phrases that they're using, uh, and not repeat the same words. And so, for example, character A says, don't bother me. B says, I'm not bothering you. A says, I've heard enough. B says, you're not even listening. C says, because I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And on and on it goes. And they will try to vary the language somehow, saying things like, please shut up and go away. Uh, can't you see that I, won't, uh, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore? Whatever. They will try to, um, to, um, to uh, create some variety in the language. But the point is that the same beat whether in the same words or in different words, is constantly repeating without change, without progress. And when anything repeats, whether it's the character's uh, behavior or any other aspect of your writing, you begin to violate the law of diminishing returns. The law of diminishing returns is simple. It's true in life as it is in art. The more often you repeat something, the less effect it has. The first time you do something, the first time you use a line, let's say, it'll have its full impact. If you repeat that action and that phrasing again, it'll have half or probably much less than half of that impact. If you're foolish enough to do it for a third time, it will not only not have the effect that you want, it'll swing around behind you and kick you in the and have the opposite effect. What you think perhaps is serious, the audience will then laugh at because of the repetitiousness. So I don't bring this up to like really hound, because I want to make it clear that I think what we've played up to so far and even to, there's a certain point where you get near to the end of disc one. I feel like Xenogears, aside from the I think the obvious things that you kind of like look past, like mm. translation errors 
and things yeah. of that nature, which yeah. you just have to be understanding of because yes. of the circumstance. Mm -hmm. Aside from those things, there is, Xenogears is almost a perfect JRPG, mm -hmm. up to a certain point in the story. And then it starts to become much more obvious as it goes on and on and on that they did not have time to finish the game. Mm. And it starts to unravel, the pacing really starts to either drag out way too much or rush past certain parts. And I, I'm, I'm bringing this up now not to like, you know, hound on this particular example of Saitan repeating piracy three times in mm. the same scene. I mean, but, but it's like, it's one little drop that becomes another drop and another and another and another until you're filling a basin full of dialogue you probably don't need and lengthening out a game no. to the point where, you, where the accumulative effect is that the pacing is it's stretched, it's not tight. And so they start to run out of time to really like in a satisfying way finish this game hmm. and deliver on everything that they had intended to do. And so I'm not like pointing at this and being like, oh, this dialogue sucks or something like that. It, it probably could be a little better, hmm. but it's not something that like throws me completely off. But I think it's something to keep in mind as you analyze, as it goes on and on, just the length of the scenes, the amount of dialogue, how much they are diving into, like that the pacing really is a sign of a first-time director, I yeah. think, yeah. who was struggling to structure the game in a way and, and structure the team and structure the project and manage it in a way to where it could all kind of come together and be complete. And so that might seem like an extreme stretch from <laughs> this little thing, but like I said, it's like a little thing that just little here, little there that builds and builds and builds and builds. And sure. it's the one reason why <clears throat> I said in an earlier episode that the dialogue in this game does not is not necessarily super smooth like in a Yasumi Matsuno Vagrant story. Oh, sure, yeah. Or, yeah. or Final Fantasy Tactics or something like that. And so, um, <clears throat> anyways, it's just something to point out and something to look at and to consider as you keep going. Uh, if you are a person who's interested in the kind of the technical writing side of things oh, sure. to keep an eye on. If you're just someone who just likes the lore and the details, I mean, it's it, it, not something to worry about yeah. <laughs> necessarily. You're just looking to understand the, like the, the broader ideas and concepts and the references, you know. But I am someone who really likes to focus on the technical execution of scenes and, and, and how they're written, how the words on the page like build toward um, delivering those ideas, right? That's to me is just as important as the ideas themselves. Mm -hmm. And so this stuck out to me as like a great early example of repetitiousness you do not need. In a game that's already really long. That is so long. <laughs> There's certain things that repeat. Cut this dialogue down. Don't need. Get it moving. Yeah, I felt, I felt that way about a different scene. Yeah. But, um, well, I do want to say one thing about this, though, because I found this to be funny. And a lot of this depends on the artist's intent. Yeah. Did, <laughs> did the director, what was his name, Takashi? Takashi. Did he... Soria Saga. This is another thing. Yes, the two of them. Someone brought right. up, and well, I do want to mention her name more. She is sure. kind of the primary writer of this story. Okay. Like she came up with so the So the writing story. is her, the directing's him. 
more. Well, or less, I think right? he wrote as well, but it's just he gets all the credit because his name is more well known. And he's the director of the game. Sure. But I think that too often I forget to mention that she's just as key a piece to fair the enough. story. Fair enough. I right? think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then this is her fault. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, people. That was a joke. Okay. So <laughs> my my point is. <clears throat> was this meant to be funny? Because if this was, because I felt that it was funny. Sure. I heard the word piracy come up multiple times, and I was like, oh, he's not answering the question. This is getting kind of funny, right? They're having yeah. a little tango here, sure. like not letting each other through and not figuring out what they want to know. Mm. Um, if that was intentional, congrats, it was funny. It may not have been intentional, in which case I'm laughing at something that was meant to not be funny. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, the, 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 the um, law of diminishing returns starts here and goes up and then kind of tapers off. But when you're using it for comedy, it's more of like a bell curve, right? <laughs> it's like, think of Monty Python when there's the, there's the guys running towards the castle, but you see like five scenes and they're a different distance from yeah. the castle each time and yes. then they're there. But it's like, okay, they did it like seven times, right? And the first time it wasn't even that funny. It's not until you realize they're starting to repeat that it becomes funny. But then it be turns into the bell curve because then you reach the peak funny and then it starts to become not funny again once yeah. again, right? So it depends on if you're going for a comedic effect or if you're trying to be serious yeah. as to whether or not how many times you can get away with doing it. And I, I thought this was funny, so it kind of worked for me. I sure. felt like there was some humor in the... And the piracy, like repeating it one more time, like okay, it's getting it's getting humorous. In, in the Monty Python way, where that, that yeah. beat keeps getting repeated in a way that's humorous. Where it's funny, yeah. Oh, like and possibly <clears throat> intentionally so. I don't know if that was their intention, sure. Here. But you know, it could have been either way. I think it's important to bring up both. Yeah, I also put a note here that Saitan always knows about everything. It's uh, kind of crazy. <laughs> and so, like, yeah. th this was in regards to the Fatima Jasper. He just like he always seems to know where people are going. He's heard something about it or he finishes yeah. their sentence for them almost. And they comment on it like, almost nonchalantly, like, oh, you're very well read. Yeah. Anyways, you're right. There is a, a Fatima Jasper that is split yeah. in two and, and it's kind of like um, nobody thinks any more of it, right? Well, it's just, Bart wow, you're a smart guy. brings up in a minute, he, he jokingly suggests, you yes. must be one of Shakan's spies. As, as a joke, yeah. Right, yeah. but I thought that would probably be a very serious Thing to consider here. I think so, like, and especially how careful these pirates are. You've got to keep Bart hidden. No yeah. one can know. You have to vet everyone like yes. intensely that comes onto this ship yes. and gets knows what you know. Yes. And they just don't do it. They mention it, Satan. It would, it's very suspicious behavior on Satan's part. Yeah. To like walk into a place as this random stranger and know everything that Know it all, and intentionally start gathering intel, yeah, right? Because like, you can yes. tell when someone's starting to poke and prod and ask too many questions, yes. right? That's a big sign. Yeah. So uh, somebody who's really good at this will very subtly gain knowledge, and you won't directly ask about very sensitive things like the, the Jasper. Yeah. Very sensitive, yeah. right? And yeah. what it could be used for, and you know this, and you're trying to find out what they know, but you're not telling them what you know. Yeah. Uh, it's very weird. So this this playthrough here was when I first started to become overtly more, like clearly more suspicious of of, um, of Saitan, and it's in part because he mentions, and it's for something that happens a little bit later here. Uh, there's this line here, which is like, okay, interesting, but also he talks about how he, five years ago, the first thing we learn about his past at all was that he used to fight in a gear yep. five years ago mm -hmm. in a war, and that started to make me think we know nothing about this guy and. Mm -hmm. But you don't really question it up until this point. 
I guess until we get to this hideout, you're not really too concerned about what Satan's ulterior motives are. Yeah. You know, we mentioned last time um, about like Gandalf or um, yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm-hmm. I actually thought of a better example and that's Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Oh, sure. Especially with book six and seven where Dumbledore yeah. is Dumbledore's a little more apologetic to Harry and a little more like, uh, Dumbledore knew things that were very important <laughs> that he purposely did with not let on. Yeah. And they were really, and at book seven really kind of paints Dumbledore in a different light. And it's like, but was he bad? No, he wasn't bad. He, but, but, like, dude, he had ulterior motives for for <laughs> Harry, and it wasn't as as, I mean, maybe the motives still were pure. But anyways, I I see that as maybe a, a better parallel with Satan, um, just knowing that he knows more than he lets on, but you still don't know which way how to take him necessarily. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the only thing in this case where someone could be like, nah, this guy's fine. Is the fact that Sigurd knows him, right? Like yes, Sigurd, that's true. That's Sigurd a good called thing to bring him up. by his actual name, yes. Hugo or whatever. Uh, Hugo, yeah, because it means so holiday like, in Korean. So but like, if not for Sigurd, yeah. I would hope that Mason would and hope. Bart would be very <laughs> suspicious You're, of Saitan. That's a good point you bring up, that they wouldn't need to vet because Sigurd already knows. But it make well... But how, that's how a good well point, does that's Sigurd a good point. know him? Well, uh, and who is Sigurd? You're and, right, and yeah. who's Sigurd? But at the same time, like... Sigurd, that that carries a lot of weight. I think yeah. that's pretty powerful. Yeah, that makes that makes this kind of a bit more bit more palatable. Right. So, anyways, uh, Bart comes in and says, "Yeah, it's it's referring. We think it refers to a gear, this treasure that the the Jasper reveals, right?" And he's like, "Come check out our picture scrolls in my little hologram, yeah. my hologram <laughs> projection room." And Satan's like. You have one of those? I thought that, and this is this is kind of important, I suppose, that, that only, I guess they mentioned it before, but only the um, ethos has access to this stuff. Yeah, so it's kind of weird that of Bart records. had yeah. it. And Bart said it was a prized possession of my father, that he had right. a, an official ancient scroll, you know. Yeah, so, that's actually a good point. super rare. This would be very valuable. Very. And the ethos would probably want to keep mm-hmm. this from people. <laughs> Especially given that this is relevant to something yes. that everyone's looking for. Yes. Yeah, so but he, he digitized it, which was smart. <laughs> so it's on like a TV screen. Yeah, so Bart says, when you get in there, after founding the country, Fatima forced the giants into slumber, so Fatima the first, the first king, mm. um, to protect his kingdom's people if needed in the future. But we don't know where they are hidden, these giants, right? Um, in another record, one of the giants is called the Great Fatima Treasure. So they used gears, which were referred to as giants. Mm-hmm. This is also the term that um, Old Man Balthazar used in yes. the caves. Giants. giants. Yeah. Right. And that 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 evokes some biblical. It does. You were telling about this last week. I did. I mentioned the Nephilim of Genesis chapter six, I think, and there's two translations for it. There is giants, which is what the King James Version went through it with. And then there is fallen ones or fallen angels is what some people take them to be. Either way, it's interesting, (laughs) especially with reference to this game where it's like long time ago there used to be giants but not anymore. And the reference was these giants had godlike, you know, capabilities and they were like mechanical kind of things. Yeah. Very interesting. So this is the evidence and it seems to be very compelling evidence that the great Fatima treasure is in fact some kind of powerful gear. Um, and this is why, as we see kind of in the, well, l- a little later, not the next scene, but the scene after that, 
um, with the Gebler forces coming in mm. and Shakan and Rams is talking back and forth. Oh, they're, they're yeah. all trying yeah. to get at this great yes. treasure. And, and each of them knows a little, some different info that they're not telling yes. the other because they know once we have it, we have the leverage. Yes. Um, and so they're not really playing together as a team. And we'll get into that in a second. But first, uh, basically. Oh, yeah, I, I put that note here. This is what puts uh, Shakan and the Gabler, uh kind of pits them against each other. But the, yeah, the yeah. dynamic of the villains is something I want to talk about later because I think it's cool. another thing that this game does almost like perfectly is how it handles the villains. Yeah. But I really like Faye's outburst here um, as as the, the conversation tried, kind of turns yeah, to be like... This isn't the first time, even with the tea drinking scene, Faye yeah. didn't say anything. Yeah. And then I think Mason even brings it up. He's like, hey, you're not drinking tea, you're not talking, like, are you all right? And he just yeah. like doesn't have anything to say. Same thing here. He starts to kind of, and they ask him questions, like, what do you think, Faye? And he like won't, he's not, he hasn't said a word. Mm. And you don't even really realize it until they bring it up. That, yeah. Hey, Faye, why aren't you talking? It's like, oh yeah, that's weird. And, um, and so like, he's, Bart's basically asking them, hey, the two of you, I, I, I understand, like, um, you know, we, we've helped you, can you help us kind of thing, like, well, yes. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd really like to have your power in this, he says to Faye. Well, isn't that what Graf said? Yes. It's almost the exact thing it Graf is. said. Yeah. And that's why Faye kind of freaks out. Yeah, Faye's like, He's like, what's wrong with you, Doc? Everyone, you're driving me to the brink. And like, and he mentions Graf after that. It's what Graf said, it's what the old man Balthazar said. Like everyone's trying to like make me fight and I don't get it. Like why won't you just leave me alone? Like mm -hmm. what's wrong with you people? Mm -hmm. I really liked that because I could really feel it. Like he is being pushed by yeah. like everyone around him to do this and he has no desire to right. do it. Right, it's <laughs> way out of his comfort zone. Yeah, and, yeah, and the fact that he killed people in his village mm -hmm. inadvertently. Something happened to him. He lost, um, he lost control. He, he has no memory of what happened, but something happened and he did this terrible atrocity and people are still pushing him to get back in the gear and to keep fighting. And he's like, I have no desire to do this. Why are you being so persistent? And, and particularly yeah. Doc. I really like that he called Doc out specifically. Like, Doc, what is wrong with mm -hmm. you? Like, why are you doing yeah. this to me? Um, yeah. And uh, anyways, I thought that the, the this is something that I, that I want to bring up as well in, in regards to Faye's like insistence of rejection of the call, right? Which yes. Is, the, like, the hero's journey thing. The hero's yeah, yeah. journey, yeah. You get the call to adventure and you reject it over and over and over. We're going to go, to. yeah, we're going to go into this in more detail in a later episode when we start to like, when we get like more of the characters in the party, like we have more of like a full mm -hmm. group and we can kind of look at each individual character and break them down and do like character analysis in that way. Oh, that'll be um, But each character in this game was designed based on what's called the Enneagram of Personality. Um, and so I have a pull up here that, as a basic um, explanation of what it is. Um, the Enneagram of Personality uh, is a model of human psyche which is principally understood and taught as a typology of nine interconnected personality types. Um, and so, you know, it goes into its origins and stuff, but it, essentially it's, it's, a, it's a model for breaking down personality types. Yeah. And uh, your wife... <laughs> um, she is, is very, very big into it. <laughs> very, um, I, I don't know how you'd put it, like it's, it's, it's like beyond a hobby. It's like yeah. an extreme passion beyond or interest mm -hmm. in 
dissecting or understanding personality people's and, and specifically like categorizing them yeah. in a way that's makes sense to her yeah yeah so there's like the myers-briggs myers-briggs the, the color code color yeah, code enneagram yeah. yeah so and then we have the enneagram here she so. knows all this stuff there there oh then then there's also the big five personality traits she yeah she's just anything with the word personality in it <laughs> she like gravitates towards it yeah so we might want to get some of her perspective on this at some point when we yeah, do our kind of breakdown of the characters hi my name is breezy and i am Kason's wife and anyone that knows me knows that I am slightly obsessed with personality tests. One of the theories that people really like about the Enneagram test is um, that our goal is to become whole, look at all of the strengths that these personalities have to offer, and try to integrate them inside our own personalities. Another thing is being able to look at the common weaknesses that your personality has and obviously try to figure out how to overcome those weaknesses. Looking at the strengths that each personality has and figuring out how you can best use your strengths to help out your community, help out your family, help out your relationships. So if we look at this diagram, you'll see a bunch of numbers and a title associated with them. Now I know different people have different titles for these but I will go with the most commonly found title that I've found. Number ones are the perfectionists, and they are conscientious, honest, and improvement-oriented. Twos are the helpers. They are caring, generous, and warm-hearted. Threes are the achievers, and they are ambitious, focused, and adaptable. Fours are the individualists. They are creative, deep, and expressive. Fives are the investigators. They are cerebral, private, and curious. Sixes are the loyalists. They are cautious, loyal, and alert. Sevens are the enthusiasts. They are optimistic, spontaneous, and uninhibited. Eights are the challengers. They're self-assured, assertive, and decisive. Nines are the peacemakers. They are patient, non-aggressive, and accommodating. With each of these personality types, they have their own weaknesses, their own strengths, basic desires and fears and motivations. So if you look at the geometric lines in the middle of the circle, you'll notice that the three, six, and nine are connected by a triangle. And the other numbers look like they're just randomly connected to each other. It actually goes in this order. One, four, two, eight, five, seven, one. Now each of these numbers is connected to the two numbers that are closest to them. So the one on the right and the one on the left. Well, let's start with two, because I'm a two. Twos are the helpers. They're known for being kind-hearted and service-oriented. Um, their weaknesses are they're naive. They can be dependent. Check, check. <laughs> and they can also be, um, you know, they get burnt out from helping others and not taking care of their own needs. Those are some typical weaknesses, but when a two is beyond just their own weaknesses and they're in crisis mode, the theory goes that they revert to an eight, which is a challenger. Now they revert to the weaknesses of an eight, not just being an eight, but the challenger, their weaknesses are combative, lacking empathy, and being angry. Um, <laughs> you can ask Kaysen. Those are definitely some of my <laughs> crisis mode um, 
personality traits, but when a two is in their growth phase, when they are beyond the strengths of a two, and um, it, it, the theory goes that they naturally grow into the healthy traits of an individualist, a four. So they can be idealistic, have emotional depth, um, take care of themselves. So nines, when they are stressed out in crisis mode, they revert to a six, the weaknesses of a six, which is loyalist. So they become suspicious, anxious, holding back. Now, they're obviously not being like their diplomatic selves when they are holding back their anger and holding in their stress and they are um, not dealing with it in a healthy way. Um, the theory goes that threes, they are associated with threes when they are in their growth phase. So they have the strengths of an achiever, successful, accomplishing a lot. I can see it with my dad. My dad is a nine and he was the CEO of a company. And when he was his healthiest, he was definitely, he had a lot of traits of the achiever personality. I just want to point this out to people to look at as you are uh, playing the game and as you're trying to understand the character's motives, right? Like, yeah. um, why are they doing this or, you know, you know, because it's all very technical and very well thought through, but it's all kind of has its base in these nine types of the Enneagram of personality or anagram. I'm not sure how that's supposed to be pronounced. It's E-N-N, I think it's Enneagram. I've heard it just anagram, anagram. Anagram of personality, yeah, okay. But. So in any case, um, Faye is type nine. He's the very last type, right? And so we have a little table here that says the characteristic role of the ninth type is the peacemaker and the mediator. Mm. Um, the ego fixation of the ninth type is indolence. The holy idea of the ninth type is love. Now here comes the, the, the interesting parts. The basic fear, loss, fragmentation, separation. Fear of loss. Mm. That's essentially what happened. A loss of his hometown, sure. of his friends. Even his though a loss of his self, a loss of his memories. Because yes. he doesn't remember yes. things about his past. So there's loss just internalized as well. I also like that the second one here is fragmentation. Mm. Um, and we pointed, I think, two episodes ago to the the symbol of the battle screen transition. Where yeah. it shatters into it pieces. It shatters, yeah. And this will become more frequent a symbol I've, as the game goes on. I've, I, yeah, and I've heard this. And it's funny because as soon in that podcast, as soon as I heard that mention of when a battle starts, it, it, it's more than just like there's an image of something shattering. It's when a battle starts, something shatters. Yeah. This guy doesn't like fighting. He doesn't yes. want to fight. When he's forced to fight, there's something that breaks. Yes. That's interesting. Yes. I find that fascinating. Fear of fragmentation. Yeah. Huge. And, and separation as well, right? Right. So the uh, basic desire of the ninth type is wholeness and peace of mind. And everyone here is threatening his peace of mind, mm -hmm. and the desire for wholeness, the fear of fragmentation, the desire for wholeness. Okay, Huge yeah. part of the theme, the core theme of the game, mm -hmm. is pursuit of wholeness. Right. Um, and then we have the temptation of the ninth type, which is avoiding conflicts and avoiding self-assertion. So as 
you know, you'll hear some people be like, man, just like, shut up, Faye. Just like, get with it already, you know? Right. You might have some frustration sure. with the characters because it's been a long course now of resistance right. to the yes. call. Resistance yeah, yeah. to the call. It's longer than in most stories of this type. Yes. Like Bilbo resisted for one <laughs> night. And then he was <laughs> out running to adventure. And then yeah. he's just like, I actually really want to go. Yes, right? yes, yes. And the story really gets moving. <laughs> We've been through kind of like three sequences or scenarios now where, where Faye is just yeah, like, very... stop making me fight. I don't want to fight. They're drawn out there there yeah. it's not just a brief hesitation it's like a big like i will not you can't make me yes yeah but it is really important for his character arc hmm. and for the theme of the game and it is right in line with the an enneagram of personality so i just want to bring that up and just put that into your consciousness and just uh, shelf this for a little bit later look into it as much as you want to um, on your own time but this is something we'll bring up later for sure um, but that is why he's he's so hesitant to fight. This is all based in his personality, the, the personality type that, that he uh, falls into. Um, I also really love the use of, uh, actually before this, did you end up, did you try to go into Bart's room in yes, the Fire's Hideout? Yes, I did. <laughs> that was funny. Scene. I did. <laughs> it was very funny. There's something funny about his room though. If you look very closely on the bottom um, where his like dresser is, it seems. Yeah. Well, I guess it depends on your camera angle, I suppose. But I think it forces the camera to be in one specific spot when Bart comes in. I could be wrong about that. But there, he has different colored eye patches. He has yeah. several different eye patches kind of laid out mm -hmm. as like his um, color coordinating. Yeah. Like, he always wears the same one, but I thought that was pretty, that was pretty funny that he's got yeah. a different eye patch for each, you know, <laughs> different occasion. Yeah. And so you go in there, I think there's a chest, you can get a, a whip, which is like a stronger weapon than uh, Bart currently has. Yeah. But I love how as you're leaving, or as Faye's leaving, Bart starts Bart to come in. Bart comes in, yeah. And Faye's hiding place is... <laughs> it's, it's so obvious, I can't <laughs> believe it. Now, given the limitations of the game and whatever, I don't know where he would have gone. Just, just put... Make a, know, Make a closet. Make a closet. Run into yeah, a door know, something or something. Like but he's, he just uh, he, ducks in the corner. He ducks in <laughs> front of the bed. He doesn't I even know. like. He doesn't even it's try so to like fun. dive behind it. He's like he hides in front of the bed. It just yes. closes his eyes. Like you can't see me. Please don't see me. And Bart. <laughs> he just, doesn't. I guess. Bart just talks out loud. It's so. I, I've heard some people uh, speculate on the scene that Bart did see him there. But then says was he what he says as like a call out. Oh, like when he's, he's like, like, I'll hide at the bottom of the elevator yeah, or something like that. Uh, just to let him yeah. know, hey, I'll be waiting. Kind of a thing. I don't know. That's interesting. <laughs> that seems like an apologetic that yeah, may be correct. But it's approach. probably just trying to excuse um, yeah. <laughs> the way it was all handled. But when, so funny, when you do take the elevator down and Bart does kind of jump out and confront you, um, I really liked how they've kind of built this consistent personality trait in Bart where he has a hard time apologizing. He yes. struggles with apologizing. Yeah, yeah. And it, it happened when you first get to the Yggdrasil and uh, Sigurd is like, hey, you know, you understand. He says something about like, it's important to say the words directly or something like that, not to have someone apologize for you. I yes. can't remember specifically. Yeah. But, and then they kind of drag him off by his ear or whatever. <laughs> Um, but there, it's there, and then here, I love that he, he tries to kind of apologize, but he says, forgive me, will ya? Will it's ya? It's like a demand, yeah. like, come on, just like, forgive me already, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> he really struggles with apologizing. 
<laughs> and then and then later on, uh, as the the scene continues, he actually sends Sigurd to apologize on his behalf again. Yes, that's so. right. And I think he's kind of waiting out alone yeah. somewhere in the background, and Sigurd's yeah. like, you know. He's sorry. <laughs> he told me to come apologize um, again. The, uh, forgive me. Yurish tekre, Yurish tekre. It's like, give me forgiveness. Yeah, it's, it's, this is sort of building a trait in the character that's giving him a distinct personality. It's making him feel more human. Yes, and yeah, it is. I really yeah. like that about uh, the way that Bart's being handled here at the beginning of the game. Um, yeah. And I also really love the sense of scale that you get in the contrast between when you first entered the hangar, where the gears are, and you're like a little tiny dude running mm -hmm. around. And yeah. then now you've got the up-close sprites, and the yeah. gears are massive 3D And you can objects. see them like that, yeah. It, it just, People are working on The them. way that the, yeah, the scale cool. goes back and forth like really sells the giantness mm -hmm. of the giants, right? Yeah. Of the, of the gears. Yeah, the, um, the cinematography in this game, the way they oh, use the camera work. So good! For, for this time so period, good. it's just, well, for any time period, it's good, but I'm just saying, no one else was doing this. Yes. Like, I remember playing Ocarina of Time back in the day, and it had more um, camera capabilities. Camera Every, but it was always keyframe to keyframe. Yeah, keyframe to keyframe. Stop. Exactly and then, right. You know, ease in, ease out. And just then it's there. and it's like that was every move and everything just, was kind of in the middle just to avoid a static camera exactly not because the camera was enforcing yes. the story somehow yes in Xenogears the Dude, camera enforces it's so the story. well it's so part well. of telling the story and it does some really cool stuff like that, yeah you mentioned impressive. you mentioned in episode two how the dress is framed in between yes. Alice. And uh, yeah. Faye. It's kind to of a show barrier. The barrier between, between their the love. Yeah. And then um, I think it was uh, uh, Chris brought up how when Faye turns his back and he's walking away mm -hmm. from the gear, you yes. see that the gear's Over watching the shoulder. his back. Yeah. It's as, just it's watching not letting him. him out of its sight. Yes. Yeah. Like these things are intentional. Yes. And, and they're you need, part of the yeah. story. And it's, it's so well and, done. Man. And there's just so much of it. It's like. There's so many scenes where, where, the, where the camera is doing this. Um, and and I, I especially really like it a little bit later. Uh, I, I actually used a lot of these shots in like my review or whenever I'm talking about Xenogears. Oh, yeah. Because the shots are just so good. Of the city? Um, well, like in, in particular when the Gebler ship arrives and Shakan yes. and Ramses yeah, are walking very through good. the hallways. Very and, good, yeah. And then it's like it goes into the camera mm -hmm. that like Shakan is watching them yep, talk. Yep. Like With Margie. The camera is just really the cinematography i should say is brilliant in this yeah movie. It's, it's so good it's amazing yeah it's like it's like uh it's it's like film level quality yeah. in terms of its uh assistance in telling mm -hmm. the story its purpose yeah. in like cementing in these subtle ways like what the characters are feeling and that i think this is part of exactly why they this game had to be 3D. They couldn't use the pre-rendered backgrounds with the sprites. Because yeah. you don't see these types of camera moves hardly ever within Final Fantasy, the yes. PS1 generation. Yes. Every now and then you'll do a two, two uh, like a parallax with two images yeah. in the background. But you won't get this kind of stuff. And I think this is probably the reason why he was like, we gotta go full 3D. Yeah. Because he, he knows how to use a camera to further the elements of his story. Yeah. And it shows, and it's great. And so I, that was a great decision within this game to have it be in a 3D world with 2D sprites as the characters. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. Because you couldn't have done it otherwise. It's fantastic. Um, I'm just going to skip over this. I, there was a, 
kind of a clumsy line that Sigurd says, just as another example, some of the dialogue sometimes not flowing super well. <laughs> I do remember that he line. Says, he Wondering says, something, what the heck. but could you two, with whatever it is, only you two each, nah, hold on, it's hard to read it. <laughs> but could you two, with whatever it is, only you two each know, help the other, please? <laughs> what the fetch? So Anyways, clumsy. Very clumsy, clumsy but at the same sentence. time, you're like, help him with what? You don't really get it. Yeah, yet, it's, yeah. Anyway. Now, the next scene is when these uh, these Gebler pilots um, like infiltrate the base. Yeah, they're uh, really quick though. There was one other thing oh, um, that I wanted to bring up before we move on. Um, Bart, when Bart first comes in, because you've got this hardened personality with Bart, right? And he's, yeah. he's at least initially, he's hard to read. You know that he's kind of just putting up a, a front. Sure. Uh, but you don't know that initially. But when he when he returns to, um, I don't think it's when you get an Yggdrasil. I think it's when you get to the hideout. Yeah. Um, then the, a bunch of kids show up. Oh, that's And right. he's yeah. like, hey, kids, I found this really sweet rock, and there's a bug stuck inside. It's like the it's a, Jurassic Park yeah. thing. It's like there's an amber with a bug inside of it. Fossilized. Yeah, the, and the kid's like, that's so cool. And he gives it to them and they run away. And, and he, yeah. so he, while we were in the cave, he pocketed a thing thinking with the express purpose of giving it to these kids, right? Yeah. That shows a, just a nice softer side of Bart yeah. that, that he didn't show and that he wouldn't, he would rather not show in front of Faye, yeah. but that he just is a softie for these kids. And any anytime someone's nice to children, as you'll see later on with certain people aren't very nice, um, with the bad guys, someone who's nice to children is is just they have a good heart, right? Yeah. They have a good soul. So that that was earlier on, but that was a nice touch with the character. And and Bart does start to show that side of himself a little bit to Faye in the conversation they have back and forth when yeah. he kind of confronts him. Down yeah, the he's because I think he realizes pretty early on Faye is a lot stronger than him. Yeah, but he didn't know that before. Yeah, so he was like, "You want to fight?" But it's like. <laughs> He, by the time they're here, he's gotten a pretty good idea. Like, Faye, Faye is something else, and he has a potential that's above mine. And yeah. he kind of accepts that. And he even says it to Faye. He's like, you're really strong. I need you. Yeah. And, like, that's that's a good, big admission for someone like Bart to, yes. to uh, you yeah, know, I admit mean, that. And on top of that, like, being empathetic towards, like, why Faye is so scared to yeah, pilot yeah. the gear. And, like, look. Like I understand, like what happened in Lahan and stuff, but like you can't—that that wasn't your fault, right? Like, mm -hmm. had you not done anything, had you run away from that situation, yeah. people would have died, right? Anyways, mm -hmm. you know, like it, you can't like blame yourself for this. Um, you know, things happen, and he he tries to relate with him, and mm -hmm. then when he's standing, you know, in the, in kind of the distance there, when Sigurd's talking about him, he's like talking to his his father like yes about that's how right, that's right. you know he doesn't he's not feeling super confident in himself how he feels like he wants to kind of run away mm -hmm. and, and not face up to what he has to do but at the same time like in the end his resolve is that he wants to he wants to help people he, right. he cares about the kids and he cares about people and he wants yeah. he wants to do what's best for the people of his country and like that he's dedicated to that first he's committed to that first and so I think it's in, in tandem, it's that conversation he has with Faye <coughs> in res and also just the, the cruelty of the Gebblers, um, mm -hmm. their, their attitude toward lambs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <coughs> that sort of like pulls Faye out of this resistance and he decides to, okay, I'm going to help you guys out. Yeah. Right? But these Gebbler pilots, right, who come in. Um, they're they're kind of funny at first. They they're are. A and little clumsy. This is... I'm, I, I don't know how 
how many more times I'm going to say, these names are references to this or that or this or that, <laughs> uh, when they aren't like in particular, like a purposeful uh, thematic reference. Mm -hmm. When okay. it's just like, oh, this is a name because he's a physicist who, or, or maybe a psychoanalyst who was like a, a colleague of Freud's or something. Sure, but yeah. beyond that, the character doesn't exhibit any, because these, these Gebler pilots are named after physicists and oh, psychoanalysts yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But they, the, the but it's just a name. It's, it's just, just a name. It's just kind of an arbitrary reference. It seems like names are yeah. kind of like that within this. They, like like the yeah. Hebrew months being mm -hmm. the names of cities. Yeah, It's yeah. just because they sound cool. Yeah. And he was like reading, you know, a lot of like Jewish mysticism at the time. Mm -hmm. It's not because like there's some explicit tie, you know, to the religion somehow. Right. So I don't know how many more times I will do this, but I do want to mention <laughs> that these names, now the way that they were translated, it changed the spelling and I'm guessing that's because he's just trying to follow the phonetics of it. Sure. So like Breuer is, should be spelled B-R-E-U-E-R, -E -E which is the name of mm. Joseph Breuer, who was the mentor of Sigmund Freud. Okay, but right. the way that that was written in English was B-R-O-Y-E-R. -E yeah. So a lot of these names would be hard to directly understand that, oh, that's a reference to this okay, guy. Okay, right. Because they were spelled wrong, yeah. Right, because they're not spelled correctly. But so you have Breuer, who is Joseph Breuer, like I said, the, the mentor to Freud. Then you have Hemholtz, who should be Hermann von Hemholtz, with Hemholtz, a T. Yeah. Is a German physicist mm. and physician who, he did like a lot of research on like the eye, like human vision. Mm. And like visual perception and stuff like that. He nice. added a lot to those fields. Um, so that's who Helmholtz is a reference to. Then you have uh, Rank, R-E-N-K in English, um, uh, who should be R-A-N-K after Otto Rank, who is an Austrian uh, psychoanalyst and he was a close colleague of Freud. Uh, then you have, uh, let's see here, there's Rank and then there's Vance, who should have been France. France, yeah. Um, again, Japanese right. trying so I guess to pronounce was, the yeah. name, but like then being translated back into English mm, is yeah. tough, and some of that pronunciation is not quite carried over exactly right. Well, the city we're about to go to, I noticed, is pronounced very differently in Japanese. Yeah, Bled Bledovic. <laughs> yeah, Bledovic. Bladeridovic or something, but, in I'll, I'll read it. But France is based on France Omar Fanon, who was a French West Indian psychiatrist and a political radical, uh, really like a, a Marxist humanist. Ah, um, right. Uh, who, anyways, very influential, a lot of things that he's written in like uh, people who are you know, very politically active and stuff like that. So these were, and they also Stransky, or Stratsky is the last guy on the team of Gebler that are like breaking into this place. That's most likely meant to be Stransky and there's like a, a number of <laughs> possible physicists mm -hmm. named Stransky who this could be uh, referencing, so. Yeah, the way it's pronounced in Japanese is Sutoraki. Yeah. Like it, struck, like, yeah, it's hard it's, to know it's, it's, what's it's really <laughs> trying to reference it's in the really Japanese. Hard. <laughs> but it's, it's probably supposed to be Stransky because there's a lot of physicists. They all are, you know, similarly named to other physicists and psychoanalysts. But beyond that, I don't know what connection they really yeah. have. Um, anyways, these That's guys break funny. in and uh, they're, they're coming in there after the gears. And so the alarms go off. Bart and uh, and Sigurd and Saitan are you know rushing down to 
get started to, uh, fighting these guys off. Um, and, and so Faye comes down uh, into the hangar and Saitan rushes up and he says, aren't you gonna do anything? Do you still think it has nothing to do with you? He's still right. really pushing him. Come on, Faye, get yeah. in the gear and fight. <laughs> he like, will not let up on it, man. Yeah. Saitan will not give it a rest. And Faye just turns his back. He doesn't even say anything. And so Saitan from there just kind of pauses and then he just rushes down and he's gonna fight. Yes, and he's like, place. I'll do it myself kind he's of like, thing. He's like, I'll yeah. do it. I'll go fight, right? Which um, I really liked. I was wondering what I was going to see when he was like, I'll do it. So I didn't know how this was going to look. Oh, sure. Right? I didn't know that he's capable of, of, doing, of doing what he sure. does in a mech, right? Um, yeah. And then I really like Faye's lines as he, as he left. He, he starts to question himself, like, what am I? That old man, he called me the slayer of God. Right. I don't want that kind of power. He's you just know, so, so scared of like I, doing, losing control again, right? Yeah, I wonder, I just wonder about Faye's disposition. His, his, um, would you call it, see, because this world's different. God is a physical thing that exists <laughs> in, in physical space <laughs> that can be shown to exist. Yeah. So my question of does Faye believe in God is not the right question for this world. This world operates differently from, from our world, as far as I am aware. But it could be that, that even though people around him are dying, the idea of killing God is worse than, mm. other, than, kill, than people dying around him, right? Like, yeah, you're dying, but if I, keep, if I fight to defend you, I'm gonna end up killing God, and that's probably worse. Or something like that. Or if he even thinks that God is a benevolent force. Or maybe, I don't know what his ideas are towards God. They don't really clue us into that. But he's hesitant to kill, to kill God. Yeah. And, and it could be something like that. Because it's one thing to be like, oh, killing God, that's heavy. That's too heavy. That, that weighs on my soul. Uh, but it's another thing to be like, I, I believe in God. And that doesn't make sense that I would want to, to, to kill him, right? As a benevolent force. Sure. We're not clued in here, but I'm very curious as to why, as to whether or not that plays into kind of his thinking, right? Yeah. Why he would not fight and help people despite the fact that he can because of the threat that if he keeps helping people, he's going to end up killing God. And I think in his mind, he sees that as being worse. Yeah. And this was something that was brought up in an earlier episode that there didn't seem to be any reference anywhere in all of Lahan to a religion. Hmm. Um, so Faye... No, in that's right. To what you're talking about, Lahan. Yeah, he's only his whole life has been these three years in Lahan. Right. In terms of what he and there isn't like a church there. There's no right? church. There's no. Priestly. There doesn't seem to be any religion at all. Mm -hmm. So what does he even feel about God? What does he know about God? Yeah, and and yeah, maybe or feel, it's yeah. maybe it's just the idea of having enough power to kill God. That's is pretty. too much power for me. I don't even want to mess with right, that. Right, right. Because if I could kill God, <laughs> I could kill anybody. Right. Oh, totally. Right. Yeah. And if I can kill anybody, and if I lose control, then what's to stop me from doing from it? Yeah. Killing everybody, right? Maybe that's kind of where his line of thinking is. Right? Sure, sure. Um, it's just hard, it's hard to read, especially yeah. in a situation like this, because when they were um, escaping from the ship that was sinking, and before you know we met with Bart, we jumped right into that thing because we were like, oh, dangs, people are attacking us. We gotta we gotta yeah, get, get in a fight. Mm -hmm. He just climbs the the crane and just goes down the rope and drops right in. Yeah. But he's fighting it more here, even though that part was after Graf as well. It's almost as if... But it was before Balthazar. You're right, it was, it was before Graf, the kill before, God thing. Before you're he right. was told uh, this is you're the right, slayer you're right. of God. 
So that one line is kind of ringing it's in his really head. It's really bothering him now. And that's why he's been so quiet. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. So um, we then cut over to, to Saitan as he goes to a gear that is described by Mason as being nowhere near operational. And he jumps into it anyways. And he's like, wait a minute, don't. It, you can't do that. And Sigurd's like, no. He'll, he'll be just fine. Don't yeah, worry yeah. about it. <laughs> they said it may not even be enough. Um, I don't For know him, exactly yeah. what that I, means. I think I, it means like he's so good that even like a non-operational gear, like, yeah. or, or, or actually you're right. It is kind of hard to parse what he means by that. I read, I looked it up in Japanese. Okay. It says the same thing, like sufficient. It may not be sufficient. It may not be enough for, for what he's capable of. It's not, I think, it doesn't rise I to his level. Think, I guess like the that. way I interpreted that was the gear is really powerful. So it's hard to control. Right? It's hard to control. Right. And it's not operational right now. Anyways. Yeah. So it's like this really, really powerful gear that is also not operational, which is also a difficult thing to handle. Yeah. And no, please don't get in. That's dangerous. And Sigurd's like, he'll have no problem. With yeah. This. Meaning, so it may not even be. Um, no, it, it may be even. It, it may it, even not. I think be what they're saying, <laughs> it could be even less operational, and he would still be able to use it. Sure. I think. Yes. I think that's kind of the way I took it as well. Yeah. Sure. The Japanese is the same though. I mean, that, that yeah. line is, is perfectly translated, so. Yeah. So then uh, Saitan gets in it and he says, well, it's been five years since I last fought. I hope I can still remember. And isn't that weird that the first line we get about him and his past is, is him alone talking to himself. Yep. He's, he won't tell anyone Anybody anything, else about but himself. he finally tells us and it's to himself. Yes. It's just a thought he has to himself. That's a good point. But he was a warrior five years ago. That is, very, um, that's this is the first time, that, the first thing we know about his past, mm -hmm. uh, that he fought somewhere. Now that doesn't make him good or bad. It's just, you start to kind of put some pieces together, you know. He was a gear pilot to some degree. Yeah. Um, and he does say later, um, I'm a little bit you know rusty what? and you know, there are certain limitations because I didn't start early enough. So he's like mentioning like, mm. I wasn't trained from a young enough from age, a young enough age to be like a master mm. pilot of a gear or something. Okay. But still, like I'm pretty good pretty and good. these guys aren't going down, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But anyways, um, what were you going to say? Uh, no, that was it. Okay. So yeah, he's, but he, he's referencing it almost like it's riding a bike or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you can just pick it up and ride the bike again. Just, right. Just it's like muscle memory. It's yeah. just muscle memory, right? But then he faces up against one of the Gebler uh, pilots who uh, is, you know, come, you know, coming and attacking. He says, compared to the pain my friends are going through, yours is nothing. I cannot allow you to persist in tormenting those who cannot fight back. I will take you on in their place. Come on. Right, because all these guys are like, ooh, children. <laughs> Loading <Yeah>. their guns. <laughs> Let's kill the children, everybody. Right. Aim. And, and it's like pretty heavy-handed there, I think. It's, it's a little heavy-handed, but I think it's also uh, just an indication of how little they regard the lives of lambs. Right, right they, that's true. They just don't care about lambs at all. Like, mm -hmm. lambs are fodder. Graf talked about them this way. Ellie talked about them this way. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see a little bit of it from Ramses in a minute, I took yeah. note of. They just, they don't consider them on the same level. They're almost like animals to them, right? So they just don't care about killing kids. Yeah. And so anyways, I liked that line because in this sort of like second look at the game, I was noticing some of the more overt or maybe heavy-handed foreshadowing around Saitan and mm. feeling more suspicious of him this playthrough. But this line, I think, that puts was some a more, it puts solidly some more good doubt. Line. 
It yeah. puts some more doubt into, does he have ulterior motives that are bad? Right. It makes you right. think, well, he has ulterior motives, but he's a good guy. He's so we'll still trust a good him. person. Yeah. We don't know what he's doing, but he's a good guy. Exactly. And so, like, it, it, right. it, it brings more nuance into the character in a way that I really like. And, and once again, it's him talking to himself. And people yes. are honest when they talk to themselves. Yes. Like, if he said that to someone, it's like, oh, he's putting on a face or something. But mm-hmm. he's talking to himself, and so you can believe it. Yeah. And so then they're fighting, and then uh, he notices... That, that line I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm a little rusty and, you know, I didn't start early enough, but I'm still hitting them hard and they're not going down. I wonder yeah. if they're using that stuff, he says. Uh, drive, right? Yeah. And then he's like, he turns to the young one, they're using drive. Their battle enhancement drugs, normal attacks will not hurt them. So I have questions about this. Do yeah. You? I mean... Is it a drug for the robot? For the person, it's a drug for the person. For the person so, piloting the robot. So I, I assume that this is kind of like many uh, mecha anime or like kind of gaijin. Uh, is that oh, what it's called? No, no, gaijin means foreigner. So you mean uh, the, um, the, the kaiju. Kaiju, kaiju. The kaiju movies yes. where they, they battle them with robots, but they feel the pain yes. of the robot. So when yes. the robot gets punched, they get hurt too. So it's not that the robot breaks, it's that they break. Yes, because it's, it's kind of a trope of that genre, right? Where it's like, yes. you're like connected to the robot. Yeah, And when that the robot gets stabbed, you bleed too. You get hurt. So but, I'm guessing but, that drive helps them to not feel the pain of the impacts when the robots are, are punching. I mean, that makes sense. That's a good explanation. Yeah. Uh, the, my thinking is, because every now and then, we'll, especially early on when we first got this gear, the, the Veltol, we, um, it would break down on us. Like, oh no, yeah. the knee joints need tuning up, and yeah. oh no, this thing, oh, we, we were able to kill the dinosaur, but oh man, the, the, the thing... Sustained some damage, right? Mm-hmm. When when you mention that the people are on drugs, it makes it seem like their machines are just invincible, and all it's about is hurting the person. But we've seen many times that these machines—you break the machine, and yeah. then it doesn't matter if the person's fine or not. The machine's broken; it can't work yeah. anymore. Um, so I I'm not seeing that distinction much here. They're making it seem like the machines will do what they do, and you got to yeah. hurt the person, and you can't. Oh no, we can't hurt the person, and the machines are too tight to break. Yeah, it, it is a little confusing, and now that I think about it, um, if it is the case that the, the pilot is, like, feeling the pain that the gear is experiencing in terms of damage, like, why wasn't Faye's knee broken when the Veltal's knee yeah, after got that, damaged? Yeah. You know, so maybe it's not Faye, that. Faye maybe it's the, okay. Maybe it's the gear itself that is taking drive, <laughs> or the drug, <laughs> and it, like, makes it so that the gear doesn't get damaged. That would make sense, and th- this is another thing in the Japanese, it doesn't always, it usually doesn't specify the he, she, or it. Yeah. They'll just say, and I should have looked this up earlier, but they'll just say, you know, drive, like something along the lines of drive is being used. Yeah. They won't necessarily say, oh, the we people can... are using drive. So it's for the people, not for the Yeah, robot, not for the machines. Not for the giants. Yep. And essentially, it, it basically only enhances their senses to the height of that human's own potential. Not oh, okay. Own. So you use 100% of your brain instead yeah. of 10%? <laughs> yes, I get It probably pumps adrenaline a, like crazy because adrenaline <laughs> makes it so you don't feel the pain in right. your muscles as much. That so your muscles tear, is, but you can do more stuff, that's right? probably a good explanation. But, but I, I, it doesn't explain why the gears don't sustain damage themselves. That, that is my, probably my biggest issue with yeah. the way drive works. Uh, but, you know, to the extent that we understand how they're using it, 
I'll look past that for now. Yeah. So anyways, you go through like a boss gauntlet here. You fight like four or five dudes in a row. Beat them up, drive them off. And then Faye comes out and he, he, he starts describing why he decided, oh, there were some kids that were about to get killed. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, the brother and sister, yeah. And they're running along like a, like a, I don't know what you call it. Catwalk. Yeah. <laughs> I thing. don't know. Just they're, a hallway thing. Well, they're running down this path and one of the, I think it's Vance or somebody is like, hey, where you going, kids? I'm going to kill you. Yeah, just then, so stoked. And then Faye shows up. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you fighting? Right then, yeah. He's like, what is your reason for fighting? Like, why do you want to hurt people? Like, mm-hmm. Stop. And Vance, is, his response is kind of weird. He's kind of like, what the heck are you doing, man? Like, he, he doesn't <laughs> get that, like, you were about to kill kids, and that's why I did this. But he, like, he just doesn't get doesn't why. He's like, like fate, where did matters. you come from, and what are you doing? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like he just hit him for stepping on ants. Like, what's your problem, dude? Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. And, and I think there was another uh, Gebler pilot who said something similar to Saitan. Saitan was like, I'm not going to let you hurt like, these people, you know, I'm going to, he's, he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. It's like his direct quote They're is like, so desensitized. what are you even, what, I don't understand what you're talking about, what's yeah, the problem here? it's so funny. Because they just don't see lambs as human beings. Yes. So, anyways, uh, the, the line from Faye here is he sort of like, you know, talks about why he decided to fight. He says, I thought I didn't have a path I could take layout before me, but like he said, that's just running away, like he said, meaning what Bart said. Mm. Like he said, that's just running away. I must find my own path, right, Doc? If Bart wishes, I'll cooperate with you guys. That's what I can do now. But I think I'll find the path I should follow as I help others, like you. Moreover, mm. I can't turn my back and ignore uh, what such a terrible group of people are doing to others. Uh, that's a good paragraph. Like it yeah. very well lays out his motivations and yeah. what he's going to do and why he's doing it. And not that you need it to be this explicit, but in this case, it's very nice because it's harder. It's hard to read Faye and why he's so standoffish in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. It, it helps a lot to like understand why he's making these decisions. Yeah. So it's like he was all afraid of the of what he could do, like his power. Yeah. And he's, he's he doesn't want to fight. But he, does, he also feels aimless. He feels like he doesn't have a path. He doesn't have anywhere to go. He doesn't know what to do with his life. Yeah. So he's like, well, I don't know what it is, but I think I'll find it. If I stick if around. I'm pursuing helping people. Right. I think that you guys are better or good, mm-hmm. much better than these other people and the cruelty that they're exhibiting, the fact that they're willing to kill children. Sure. The, you know, these people are terrible. So I will definitely justify helping you fight against them. Yeah. And along the path, if I can help people, I think I'll find my purpose in that. That makes sense. And I think it's a good place for him to reach at this point in the story. Uh, so it may, it may be just a, a thing, like a difference of perspective. Like, why are we the good guys and they're the bad guys? Like, yeah. what, what's the difference between us? And, and this moment... Uh, where the guy's like trying to kill kids, it just solidifies it for him. Like, no, we are the good guys. Yeah. I can fight on this team and be confident that we're doing the right, the right thing. And um, yeah, I yeah. feel like that was what he was having trouble with before. Yep. Okay, so then they decide they're going to go into um, Bledovic, the capital city of Ave, to yeah. rescue Margie. This is a rescue attempt. Margie, who is Bart's cousin, who has the second half of the Fatima Jasper. Um, and so as you're entering the city, I really like this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes where the, the, the large Gebler ship comes into the hangar. And yeah. it's like the camera's looking up as it descends down. This it's isn't, is this the ship that we saw in Black Moon Forest? Same, same okay, ship. I thought so. Mm-hmm. Same ship. 
Yeah, that thing so was very big. So it comes in and you have Shakan, who is the Prime Minister of Ave, mm -hmm. there to greet uh, Ramses. Yeah. Right? And Ramses comes walking out and Shakan basically is praising him for like the great yeah, work clearly, that he's doing. Um, Ramses is the the better of the two. Yeah, he's he, he is the, the highest ranking the higher officer. Yeah, and he's like he's basically praising him. But what I love is that Ramses says nothing to him. He walks straight past to uh, oh, Vandercom, who yes, is the Vandercom. the previous commanding officer mm -hmm. who had been, you know, overseeing Gebler forces yeah. in the area before Ramses had arrived. He goes straight over him and just berates him for embarrassing yeah. him. He's just like, you, you suck I am not paying attention to this lamb, despite being mm -hmm. the prime minister. I don't care at all what you have to say. Mm -hmm. I'm going straight to you. Like, how dare you freaking embarrass me like this? Right. Just the total disregard of lambs. Yeah. Is so, it's just so consistent in how all the Gebler act. Yeah. Um, and so he tries to kind of pick it up again, the Prime Minister, you know, as Ramses is walking away, he like kind of tries to catch up to him. Yeah, he catches up. That was a nice like, touch. I love, I love that, that move, that camera move is it's panning left. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually another element to this. It's a very dynamic shot in a lot of ways, but like Ramses is very determined. He's moving forward and Chakan's like running up to catch up to mm -hmm. him. But Miang, you see Miang, who is the other officer who's with, with Ramses. With Ramses, yeah. Um, goes and speaks to Vanderkamp for a second. She kind of stands mm -hmm. behind. And she she just goes up and approaches him, and you don't you're not privy to what's said there. But then she kind of runs up and catches up in that same shot later okay. on as they're talking, and then they all enter the hallway together. It's just a great shot, but That's there's a cool. lot going on that you got to yeah. read into. It's like Ramses berates this guy, walks away. Shakan's trying to like ooh like catch up and, and talk yeah. to him, and Miang hangs behind for a minute, and then she runs up and catches up. And so like, hmm. what's she doing? Like, what did she say to him? You know, who is she? You know. Um, and then uh, the, this whole cutscene here is just brilliant cinematography the whole way. And each time they transition to a new place, you got the black background, but it almost yep. looks like a stage with a spotlight yep. on it, you know? It's great. And then the camera's always doing something very interesting, whether it's a slow push in or just like tracking to the side while, yeah. you know, following the characters. It's just really cool. It might have actually been so cool that it was a touch distracting because <laughs> you're having to read text, but you're missing the cool camera move while right. you're reading the text. Right, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, that can be tough with scenes that are um, like scripted in this way, right? Where mm -hmm. there's like um, there's movement and stuff, and it kind of corresponds with dialogue. But if you're not reading it fast enough, it's like it's going to get to the end, and they'll just hang there in the doorway until you finish the dialogue, <laughs> and then they'll yeah. continue, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I but Ramses uh, is approached by Shakan, who's like, "Hey, um, we're going to have this celebration of the founding of Ave tomorrow. I'd really mm -hmm. like you to be there for the ceremony." And he basically he kind of ridicules the founding. He's like, founding? Like, what What was it before you founded it? Like, I, I just gave you, I gave well, it to you. Well, yeah, he says right? that later on oh, the actual day. Oh, that's later on, okay. But in this, in this particular shot, he just ignores all of that and, is like, and asks about a report on, like, uh, uh, you know. He just doesn't care yeah. about lamb affairs at all. Yeah. It's just, he doesn't <laughs> even pay attention to it. That's so funny. And so it really sets him up as, like, this hardcore villainous Gebler officer. Yeah. But then immediately gives more dimension to him when they're riding the elevator and he says, you aren't being rough with the... Ah, uh, um, yes. You aren't being rough with the prisoner, are you? He's yes. like, oh, of course not. We know how you despise yeah, we such, know you don't. such acts. Yeah, I think he exactly. says, uh, of course not. I know how you despise vulgar acts. Like vulgar that. acts, yeah, yeah. So, and then when Ramses actually goes in and speaks to uh, Margie, he's very kind to her. 
Yeah. And he and he's very accommodating. And she's like totally avoiding the question about the Jasper and mm -hmm. talking about, oh, I love these cakes and like yes. there's no cakes like this oh, here. Oh, the uh, the <laughs> Nissan. Um, it was like a oh, it's a famous cake. kind of cake. Some kind of yeah. cake from Nissan. Just, oh, you don't have any cooks here. I suppose they all died in the war? Like, question mark. Like, yeah. Like, kind of, sort of, sort of making fun of him yes. a little bit, it seemed. Like, she's kind of mocking him a bit. Like, all, the, all your good cooks are gone. Like, what's the deal? It's what this would usually play out like. The yeah. trope of how this would usually play out in a scene like this is you have the hardened, cruel, um, yeah. officer military guy mm -hmm. who... Oh, are you gonna sit there and like, you know, mock me? Like, I'll show you, or like torture yeah. them, or like something like that to get them to talk. Ramses does not do that. She yes. is, yeah. you know, playing dumb on purpose to avoid the question. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he knows that, but he's still kind to her. Right. He says, "You know, I think I'll I'll try to make arrangements to get you that cake next time." If possible, I think Shakan even uh, mentions that because Shakan's got a little spike in. Yeah, I love room. that again. And you don't camera. know that it's a, and, but it shifts and yeah, zooms so in. Yeah, so you have the initial shot where they walk in, but then it changes to an angle like this, and you hear the sound of the camera. The like, yeah. Move over. And then they have the whole scene, and then it pulls out of the camera into the very well done room yeah. where they're observing this, and then Shakan starts like, scheming behind yeah. Ramses' back. It's just so brilliant. And Shikhan's like, Camera. wow, you know, he, he actually is pretty good with, you know. With the ladies. Kids kind of, or, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> it was really funny. He, he, well, he says in particular, he got more out of her than we could. Ah, there you go. Yeah, that's it. And it's because he was kind to her, right? Right. Where they were probably very. Probably, yeah. Coarse and, and you know, demanding of her. Yeah. Um, so just really great scene. And it, it shows... Like, it gives you the first taste, I feel, of why the villains, the way villains are handled in this game, I think, are better than any RPG I've ever played. Mm. Like, they're not tropey. They each have individual motivations and character arcs themselves. They have fears. They have barriers in their way of them reaching their goals. They're mm. treated just like a protagonist character arc usually is treated in the story. Sure, yeah, Where that's usually a good, a you, good the character. character the, the protagonists have arcs, and the villain is the conflict, and is mm -hmm. always a step ahead of them, and is always you know something that they're pursuing, but is they you never see their anxieties, you yeah. never see their fears or struggles or yes. the faults in their personality. And often if you do, it's because the villain is in the process of becoming a good guy. Yes. <laughs> like in the new Star Wars movie. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like an anti, anyways. Yeah, but it's a different kind of thing. In this case, they're still villains. They're still bad guys. Yeah. But there's just more dimension to them. Mm -hmm. And I love how that's handled, and I love how they are always against each other, too. It's like the villains are not united. They all are vying for power in their own way, and you kind of see that with Shakan. Like, the fact that Gebler now know about the Fatima treasure. Right. He's really upset about that. Some, yeah, and he's like, who, who leaked that information? Yeah. This and is this, not good. That's good because that shows that the evil forces are not united. Yes. Shakan is trying to gain power over Gebler yeah. in, mm -hmm. in his own kind of way. Right. And he's, they're not sharing info. They're not, um, even though Ramses may be this powerful figure, people are working to subvert him yeah. underneath him. And he's the villain, right? Yeah. And in, in most... Um, villainy type things with, I don't know, like like take Darth Vader or the Emperor. 
it, it, you, you wouldn't, anyone is just, oh yes, my liege in front of them, but behind them they, they may talk bad, I suppose, but nobody, it seemed to me, was working to subvert the emperor's will within the empire. Mm. It didn't seem that way. I know people who know Star Wars really well probably know some uh, expanded universe stuff. But <laughs> exactly. generally, in, in, a, in a typical story with a typical bad guy, everyone's so afraid that, they, oh, whatever you want, I'll do it all, right? Mm. People are rarely doing their own behind-the-scenes work, but they're showing that here, which is typically how things go. Yeah, It's not always like... Uh, you know, a cohesive group that's so evil, right? It's like a bunch of different people with their own ideas. Yep. And it's just really, really well done. You know, it's one of the best parts of the game. To to the point about Ramses uh, being kind to this girl, there is a story. There's a woman. She knew Hitler very well. She Mm. was a little kid. And he used to come to her. They used to go to, like, a cabin in the forest. And, like, he was so kind. He was really good to kids. He loved kids. He loved to play and all that stuff. And this is Hitler we're talking about. And you won't find stories like that basically anywhere. But the idea that uh, somebody super evil can't also be really like... Have good traits. Polite or have some traits or something that's yeah. like that... It, it, it's not just 100% Satan, you know? Yes. The <laughs> way that they're portrayed, yeah. Yes. But that, of course, go on to become the worst known people that you can think of. Um, but... That's just not how people tend to be. But even the fact that like Hitler like loved his wife or whatever, Eva Eva Brown, I think, like it's just weird to imagine that. And any movie made about him would not show that part yes. of him. But that was probably the biggest part. It's like of his whole it's life. It's like was a hard wife. thing for people, I think, generally to really wrap their head around. It's it's just so much easier to imagine that they are the embodiment of evil. Sure. And only someone who is the embodiment of evil is capable of doing that, right? Exactly. It's almost a comforting thought. That way it absolves thought. you from yes. thinking that you could ever do something that It's bad. a comforting thought because yeah. when you start to see that that's not the case, like that this person had the, all these good traits and, and in a lot of ways was very human mm. in other ways, and it's just this particular fixation, this radicalization that took in this form yeah. that went so far. Coupled with like psychotic yes, tendencies. And, and, that, just, and that led a to bomb. a justification right, exactly. of the evil but did not believe they were doing something exactly. evil. Exactly. That's harder to accept because it's yeah. scary. Yeah. I, I totally, totally <laughs> and, agree. And so it is like, scary. And so anyways, that's, that's uh, you know, this is something I was talking about with somebody who was giving me some feedback on the story that I'm writing too. It's like, mm. I want to hate your villains more. I want them to be crueler. I want them to be worse so that I can hate them more. It's like, well... In some ways, that depends on the age group you're writing to. This story, Xenogears in particular, for me was such an inspiration for how I wanted Mm. to handle villains. Yeah. Because I loved that you had that human side of them. Yeah. And that they're not always just the embodiment of evil. And they do right. believe completely that what they're, they're doing is the right thing. they're always just rubbing right. their hands together. Because that's, yeah. that's the reality of it. That is the in reality. In many cases. It's the um, uncomfortable reality of it, yeah. So, anyways. But seeing him good with kids, it just reminds me of that. I'm yeah. just saying. Great, great introduction to Ramses. Uh, loved it. Um, so, we're going to probably skip through a little bit of like, all the stuff you can do with Bladovic, <laughs> just to get through it yeah. and kind of cut to the important parts. I do want to say that the city um, is so cool. It's and there great. is so much to do. It's great. And the, every room is fleshed out and every, you know, like the restaurants and the little mini yeah. things that you can do and the carnival and the different sections and 
it's so well done. Yeah. And I, you really, playing this game, you really ought to do yourself a favor and spend a ton of time in this city. everything Go everywhere and look everywhere because there's so much here and it's so freaking cool. <laughs> this might be my favorite city of any JRPG. Really? It feels so alive and real mm -hmm. and interactive mm -hmm. and it's just every corner of the city is like used in a way that maybe wasn't efficient given that they couldn't finish the game. <laughs> but <laughs> sure. that is just beautiful. I, I, I really appreciate this kind of stuff in an, in an RPG. Yeah, they got like an ethos uh, headquarters there where they're fixing up uh, fixing up gears. Yep, yep. They've got um, like a restaurant with like a little chest inside of a like a water tank that you can yes. get. If oh. you if you know where to go with Bart as he's going through this uh, through oh, the waterway, really? you can get that gold oh, nugget my. that's in there. Oh, interesting. Um, there's a lot that of little things. That fish looks sweet, by the yeah, way. Awesome. That was so cool, man. Such um, a nice touch. You play hide and seek with kids. Yep, yep. Well, yep. that's kind of part of the required quest, I guess. Yeah, but um, still. But there's people with great dialogue, like an old guy who believes his son is. He's kind of senile, but he believes his son is honorably fighting in the mm -hmm. war and you go talk to his wife and that's not necessarily the case. There's just, there's so much yeah. personality to the NPCs, the merchants that are selling, they're calling you over. Yes. To, Please like, buy. Go bananas for my <laughs> bananas or whatever. Yeah, 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 that's so funny. Just really great. It's a wonderful, yeah, it's wonderful beautiful. city. And mini Lots games in cool the carnival. Do. Um, I do have to point this out. There though. are a couple of things there that I want yeah. to point to, yeah. Well, you, you grab the balloon at the carnival. And that is the coolest thing where yeah. when you leave that region, oh, and then it the balloon away. floats away. On the, it is on the so world cool. Map yeah. yeah, it floats away. And you just watch it go. And it Loved is, that. I, it was almost mind blowing. Cause at first I was like, what is that? Like, <laughs> you don't expect that in, in a PS1 JRPG. Yeah, love that and, and it's like, that's my, that's my purple balloon. That is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. I just, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was great. That's the kind of charm that was so unique to the 90s Squaresoft era. Yeah. Things like that yes. that they would do. Yeah. That it's just like, man, the, that just the design philosophy it just of makes the time. you smile. I loved Square back yes. then. They were oh, so yeah. good at those little charming touches. Absolutely. Phenomenal stuff. And that carnival area did remind me a lot of uh, Chrono Trigger, actually. Yeah. The Millennial Fair. Mm -hmm. Another possible uh, tie to when it might have been a exactly, sequel of yeah. some kind of Chrono Trigger. Yeah, very cool. Um, also, I, I noticed in, in you, you can buy these iced cakes or these uh, hot cakes mm -hmm. that will make you gain or lose weight depending on which <laughs> one you eat. Nice. Another kind of just you know I talked about weight and like the fact and that how it, it's not a doesn't thing. really have a bearing on anything. But, but maybe it could have been it's just a little yeah. thing, a little interaction that yeah. can just kind of be fun. There, this city is full of that stuff. It is so cool. do everything <laughs> you can. It's great, yeah, but I love it. we need to kind of cut to the important bits. Um, you're, you're looking for a way into the castle. You find out that there's these waterways underneath yeah. and that they're holding a tournament as, yeah. as part of the celebration of the, of the founding of Ave. So the, the plan ends up being, okay, Faye is gonna enter that tournament. By the way, Saitan pushes Faye to fight in the tournament while he himself is perfectly capable of doing <laughs> so. He's like a kung fu master himself. It's true. It's right? true. You, like, yeah. you watch his moves. Like the dude you, is a legit is so kung funny. fu artist. <laughs> I'm so used to Satan doing what he does that I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I didn't even think that he could have been the one to do he, this. He, there's no reason why he couldn't have volunteered yeah. to be the part of the plan that's the distraction. I mean, freaking Dan is fighting in this tournament. Well, we'll talk about that a lot. Satan could very well have <laughs> entered this tournament. Well, and it's not like we even did some spectacular thing that drew everyone's attention. It was yeah. We were just there, and someone else would have it's been there. It's meant to create a spectacle yeah. so that more guards' eyes will be on the tournament. 
right. and away from Bart, Bart as he's trying to sneak into the yeah. castle. That's the whole plan. It all hinges yes. on that. But he pushes Faye yes. to be the one to fight in the tournament. Although Faye has said over and over and over again, I hate I don't fighting. Fight. I hate fighting. Yeah. I hate fighting. I don't want to fight. And Saitan's perfectly capable of fighting in this tournament, and he still pushes Faye. Very to do interesting. It. He, he really wants Faye to fight. <laughs> By the way, in 90s JRPGs, the concept of a tournament, just the coolest yeah. idea ever. Just yeah. whether it's the hunt in FF9 yep. or, or um, just any... I think um, um, Sword... No, no, Second well, like, Story. What was that one called? Um, Ocean... Star Ocean. Star Ocean. Second, second Story. story. Yeah. They got the big competition, and I just love it. It's kind of it's 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 campy a little bit. Yeah. It's like very stereotypical battle arena in FS7. But I freaking yes, exactly. But I love it. Like it it, it should always be done because <laughs> it's so cool. Dragon it's, Quest Eleven did it. Yep. Like it's just everyone does it, oh, but you yeah, can't right. pass up the opportunity well, to where do it. Sil- Sylvan- that's where we first meet him. Yeah, yeah. kind of comes into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'll, it's you, a trope that I love it. You want right? There yeah. are certain tropes. Yeah, the word trope can kind of be seen as a negative connotation sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, that's tropey. You know, it's too repetitive. Some tropes are some charming. tropes are great. Yeah. World maps. I want that trope forever. Yes. You don't me see too. it very often anymore. I think it should come back and should always be there. Yes. <laughs> Tournaments. Tournaments. A tournament sequence. And a big tournament where it's like everyone's <laughs> doing it. Like Paper Mario does it. Like they all yeah. did it. And um, the cool. Uh, the cool thing about FF9 is like with the hunt because they had Trino and the hunt, right? Yeah. Those are their big tournaments, but it's like they kind of did a different take on them, mm-hmm. and that's cool. But as long as you have a tournament, yes. you just got to have it. Just you, have I'm it. Sorry, there you have to do a spin on it, but have it in there. Yeah, because it's so fun. Can't it's be so a JRPG without a tournament. Nope. Okay, so, um, anyways, that's the plan. So you go sign up as, uh, I love the names, the options for the names you can choose. You can be like the dragon slaying slacker. Yeah, yeah, Or yeah. like the ponytailed boxer. Boxer. I wondered about the wandering boxer. That's what yeah. I picked. Uh, if wandering meant drunken, because drunken boxing is uh, in Legend of Drunken Master. Right. Drunken boxing was Jackie Chan style, and he was Wong Fei Hung. And I was like, yeah. this would solidify it. But I looked up the Japanese, it really is just wandering. wandering. It's not drunken. Not so. Drunken. That would be um, interesting. That, they should have done that, though. I think that's a missed <laughs> opportunity for them. Yeah. So anyways, you go sign up. and um, But there is one NPC. Actually, there's a couple of NPCs that I want to look at their dialogue real quick. Okay. Uh, there's one guy you talk to up near where you can kind of get the balloon. right? Oh, yeah. And there's that balloon minigame. It's up in that area. Oh, the guy who kind of, another old man telling... I don't know if he's old, but he's sitting. You're right, but he says, this is according to my research. He's been doing research. As if, yeah. On the sky people, we call them. Yes. And the we remember U- the yes, UFO if we've thing seen we a UFO. floating. Around. That's right, that's right. Right. So you, you talk to him, and he asks, have you ever seen a flying saucer? Mm-hmm. And you, you remember yeah. back, like, oh, yeah, I did see that in the I desert back in uh, when I was chasing after Saitan in the desert. And if, so if you say yes to him, he says, yes, that is the country of the great ancients. They came from a star further than heaven, and created us. They ruled this land as gods. But man gained knowledge and strife erupted everywhere. The ruins are proof of those struggles. The descendants of the gods fled this land and confl- uh, of conflict, making their place in the sky. It was a peaceful place with a civilization far more advanced than ours. Are you listening? They're still alive. Have you noticed that sometimes people disappear? They're taken by what I call sky people. They're trained as soldiers to rule over Earth again. The time is near. God's army will appear out of nowhere. Haven't you heard? Don't defy them. You can't win. 
They will make paradise on earth again. That's what my research has shown about the sky people and the saucer. Uh, that's fascinating stuff. Yeah. It, the only thing that's missing is him at the end saying, oh, but don't listen to me. I'm just an old man. <laughs> yeah, but that's I That's all it's missing. Because <laughs> this is, the, there are many times where they do this, and it's always like the drunk guy at the beginning, beginning mm -hmm. of the game where he's like, ha I've always wanted to say that. This is starting to tie or bring into clearer focus Gebler a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. Like these people interfering with like the surface dwelling conflict. Sure, yeah. They're looking for the special gear. They, They're trying to establish paradise. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. They see themselves as higher mm. than the lambs below, right? Yeah. Just some little foreshadowing there for of you. Of course. Fellas. This seemed to be quite a bit, mm. actually. It's almost like too <laughs> <It's heavy -handed>. specific. <laughs> but I don't have I don't know what he's referring to, so I just know that's to the fascinating put it in thing. my head. It is the fascinating thing yeah. about my second playthrough of the game. Yeah. I look at that and I go, holy crap, that's so overt. Yeah, but I see it too, and but, I see that it's overt yes, for something. But, but, still <laughs> but I don't know what it's quite put it together. But so I could just take them literally. Okay, there's sky people who abduct people, and they're trying to make paradise. Like, okay, I kind of connected those pieces more or less with some of the previous stuff. Yeah. But like, I, I still don't know who they are and what they're doing and what they want and why and how I, it's going to happen. I'm I still almost, know nothing about it. You know. I'm almost convinced now that this game requires at least two playthroughs. Yeah. If you really want to get mm. the full the fullness of its brilliance, mm -hmm. you have to know what he's talking about and come back and see the plants and go, oh my gosh, yeah. it's all coming together, man. It's great. It's nice. freaking awesome. So if you're playing this for the first time, start a file and play it again when it's done. And I'm telling you, it's, it, you look at it really differently the second time. Mm. All right. So then I went in and played the balloon minigame. I don't know if you did that. Yeah. But when you come back out, there's yeah. a Lahan villager who, if you talk to him in Lahan, he was talking about, I'm going to go to Ave, Ave to like work. Oh, or right. I, if it's not that, I think it's his wife and kid are at home. And she talks about how her husband just always focuses on the work and he's never mm. at home. And anyways, there's an NPC. I'll put it on the screen. I took footage of this. Um, he comes and asks you about how his wife and daughter in Lahan are doing. And I thought that this was really oh, deliberate timing because Faye had just decided to accept that he's going to try to help people and he's going to fight. And he just let loose a little bit by playing a little mini game in the little carnival. And he's right. starting to kind of like come out of himself. And, and forget. Then someone from Lahan mm -hmm. just approaches him and the trauma is all kind of just like reinforced. Yeah. Holy cow, man. Xenogears loves to do this. <laughs> Everything's just so you, like intentional. Just when you start to think like yeah. things are going to be good and it's going in a good direction, mm -hmm. it has this way of just like stabbing you in the heart. Wow. That's <laughs> with amazing the, with though. The That's trauma. well done. That's and well done. Um, yeah, I just thought that that was. It's not just like this little interaction that's like, you know, fun or just like a, a little thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's really intentional. Because I don't think you see this otherwise. I don't, I don't think this guy like runs up and talks to you unless you go play that minigame. I don't I might recall be wrong this about dialogue, that, but yeah. But it, that's just how it played out for me and it just felt very like intentional. Um, but anyways, uh, so let's talk about the tournament part of it first before we talk about the Bart sneaking in part of it. So you go there, you enter the tournament, and you go in there, and you, you can go talk to like the other participants. The yeah, other, yeah. Like uh, combatants in the tournament. 
They're um, a bunch of clowns, by the way. <laughs> these, these don't appear to be very serious people. Well, there's um, <laughs> Big Joe, who we saw back in yes. uh, Dazzle, right? Yeah, he's funny. Um, he's got like a bunch of fans. He's he loves like fan his fans. Favorite. Yeah. Um, of course, there's Dan, who I want to talk about more in a minute. Yeah. Because I have a real big problem with this. But then there's this cloaked figure with a mask mm. who knows Faye's Knows our name. name. He says Faye. Yeah, he knows he says Faye's our name. name. Mm-hmm. But Faye didn't give his name because he entered as the fake dragon name. slaying slacker or whatever he yeah, is. Slacker. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he knew his name. The hash slaying slacker. I, I'm not actually, it's not a spoiler. So this is fine. If you remember talking mm-hmm. to the maid in La, in uh, Faye's house, which is Chief Lee's house, back in La Hague. Yes, I remember. That was the first she, person you talked to. She talks about right? uh, you got brought here. Right. Three years ago. By, by someone. someone wearing a cloak. Yeah, you see kind you of the see image. the blue cloak. I don't see the face, but is this... It's the same guy. Oh, no way. If wow. you look at his cloak, it's the same guy. Okay. This is the guy who brought Faye back to... Wow. Brought, brought Faye into La Like three years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, this mystery man, mm-hmm. you know, who ends up being the last guy you fight in the tournament. It's like mm-hmm. the final round. And you can't even hit him, right? He's just going to like, doop, 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 like dodging you. Like... Hmm. It's very anime style, like, we can't even hit him. Oh, I'm nice. so strong and so fast. Nice. He's, just nice. like, he's got all his hands behind his back. <laughs> right. Um, just kind of like testing your strength, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, you're not even strong enough. You know, like, this isn't good. You know, all these mysterious kind of condescending comments mm. about Faye's power level, right? There's so many people concerned with Faye's power level. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Saitan and Graf and this guy, right? And Bart. Yeah. Bart. So... Um, anyways, if, if you, you I, I could see this easily being missed because it's been quite a while since you saw that cutscene. You might not have seen it at all because you might not have talked to the maid. But if you did, you saw the guy's cloak and you see this guy's cloak, they are the same person. Mm. So this is the guy that brought Faye back to the Hanbe village. That's all we know of it. And he knows Faye's name. Yeah. So, but Dan, let's talk about Dan here. Dan entered this um, tournament. Um... I hate this. <laughs> he doesn't even surprised to see us. It's like he expected us to be there. We show up and he's like, I'm going to revenge on you. And, it's, and we're it. like, Dan, Dan, what are you doing? He's just like, you killed Alice. I hate you. But it's like, he's not surprised. It's like he knew we would be there and he's there to kill us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Now, it's, it's very silly because Dan obviously cannot fight. He's a kid. He's a kid? Yes. I don't understand why they would let this kid fight in the first place. Mm-hmm. Now, some people will probably try to point out, oh, but like right now there's a war going on and they, some of the NPCs do mm-hmm. mention many of like the, you know, more interesting combatants are off in the war. They're off yes. being soldiers and they're yeah, off yeah, fighting. Yeah. So this year's isn't going to be as special That's why as they're all clowns, a yeah. lot of other years are. Right. Still, mm-hmm. who is letting some like 10-year-old kid like in 10. here to fight men? I yeah. don't like that. I also don't like the fact that, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's even implied that Dan can't fight anyways because you fight him like several rounds in. Mm. Dan wouldn't have made it far enough into the tournament <laughs> to have fought Faye unless he was his first. Yeah. They were paired in the first yeah, round. Yeah, which probably should have happened, yeah. If, if they'd been paired in the first round, maybe it would have been like, okay, whatever. But mm. it is implied that Dan, unless Beat he got like a, a four-round bye, <laughs> which makes no sense. No. <laughs> 
He no. fought and beat people up to this point. Yeah, that's but funny. But he can't even do damage to Faye. Yeah. Like, he's fighting Faye and he's, like, getting zero. There's this part that's so funny, he, like, jumps on him because, okay, there's two paths you can take. You can either fight Dan, and I don't remember what the, like, reward for that fight is if mm. you get, if you fight Dan, actually legitimately beat him. But if you don't fight him, if you choose to defend, 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 it'll go for a certain number of rounds and then he'll be like, oh, you know, screw you, you're not even, like, fighting back, like... I'm gonna hold off this duel for later and hold on to this and I hope it like remind you of the terrible thing you did. He throws his sister's wedding dress at Faye. So you get the mm. wedding dress as the reward if you choose not to fight, you just defend the whole thing. Hmm. So that's what I did on this playthrough. Huh. But there's a shot where I guess Dan is doing a death blow and he like jumps onto him and he's just beating his face into the ground. Bam, bam, how dare you do this to my sister? And it's like, Zero damage. Zero damage. <laughs> so it's like, Dan can't fight. And he has a Kamehameha blast for some reason. I don't know why he can do this key blast. <laughs> and like blow you away. I don't know if you saw that because you, maybe you chose to fight him and you just beat him up. But um, I didn't. And so like the whole thing doesn't make sense. And yeah. I was thinking about this and I was just like, this is really ineffective. Like Dan is not a likable character. Like he wasn't he, endearing in the first place. Yeah, he's not. I The player... It's implied that Faye cares about Dan. Yeah. But it, they never, I don't think they did a good job of making the player care about Dan. And so when Dan's around, Dan's just an annoying butthole. Yeah, he is. And yeah. I just want him to go away. So the combination of that and the fact that it's very unconvincing that this mm -hmm. little kid got into this tournament and fought mm -hmm. this far when he has no fighting skills, aside from a Kamehameha Blast, and who right. knows how he got that, that's silly. The whole thing is so silly and it's dumb. It's just ridiculous. That yeah. it really ruins the moment, which is supposed to remind Faye again of the trauma of life. Exactly, because you killed this kid's family, and now yes. you have to beat him up just to create a distraction because yes. you're doing more important things. Yes. Right, and that is, that's what you're supposed to feel, so it doesn't make sense to have the silliness and the comedic stuff. It ruins On it. top of, like, you're supposed to really feel bad yes. about doing this. Yes. Yeah, but you have to fight him. Oh, this sucks. This is stupid. It's like, it's like the Hunger Games. Now, here's <laughs> my suggestion. What if it wasn't Dan that survived the massacre at Lahan? What if it was Timothy? Mm. What if Dan got shot friend. instead? Dan died, and Alice died, and Timothy, who was legitimately... Faye's best friend yeah. Yeah. turns on him and wants revenge. And Timothy comes after him. That would make more sense in this whole tournament regard. That I would have taken a lot more seriously. Um, also, this is something I forgot to mention in the development history section in the first episode. There was an earlier draft of the game where Alice survives. Mm. And she kind of pursues Faye throughout mm. the game. They ended up cutting that because they felt like it it complicated a, a romance that will come later okay. in the game for Faye. They were like, uh, I don't want to like... Sure, they would create a triangle, it's just, right? I don't want to create this kind of love triangle thing. Yeah, yeah. But what if it wasn't even that? What if it was Alice, who Timothy and Dan had died, and Alice wants revenge on Faye, and she had been in love with him right. before? Like, mm. either one so of those scenarios... There, but don't have her like him anymore. Have yeah, her. hate him mm. instead. I think either one of those scenarios would have been much more interesting and would have elicited than the Dan. right drama for yes, this scene. Yes, absolutely. Than Dan. Than Dan. Dan is just kind of a joke character anyways. I, like I you just, just can't take him seriously. He's not, yeah. 
I don't like him at all. He's not interesting enough. So I just, I did really didn't like that part. Yeah. But anyways. You're right. Very small things could have uh, made a big difference I there. think it would have really helped if they had just changed it to Timothy or Alice. Um, anyways. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, so that's that. Now we get into Bart, who's sneaking through the waterways. There's a lot of treasure and stuff you can pick up. But what I really like about the scene is that it's, it like cuts back and forth. There's like a timer. So you have a certain amount of time as Bart. Yeah. And then like yeah. if you don't make it far enough, it, it's like it cuts back. And so like Saikan yeah, yeah. says to Faye like, win, but try not to win too fast. Yes, that's right. Because the, you, you're trying to buy time for Bart. So mm. they kind of tie that into the gameplay. Where it's like you're mm. trying as, as fast as you can to swim through and get the treasure and like get into the castle, but it keeps cutting back in the middle of your yeah. doing that to Faye fighting. And it's like uh, it can get to the point where if you if you don't get through fast enough, the the guard activity in the castle when you're running around with Bart oh, is higher, higher when yeah. the, the the tournament's over ah, than it is if the tournament's still going on. Mm. And I liked how they That's did cool. that. That was cool. really cool. But. Um, there's not really much to talk about. You're kind of sneaking through. You can fight guards or run past them and avoid them. I really like how you can go into doors and then like as you're exiting, you can just like open the door and like peek out and see if yes. there's a guard coming. And if yeah. they are, you can just wait for them to pass and then you can go Dude, out. Dude, I tried so hard <laughs> to just avoid all the guards. <laughs> it is impossible, man. It is way too hard. It, it is, is way too hard. Especially because the camera, I love the camera. I love the way the game looks. It's but hard to see. When you're in that castle and you're trying to look around corners, there's stuff in your way all over, especially yeah. in that courtyard. It is really hard to get like a good angle good view. and like look around. Yeah. Especially like right when you first get there, I'm like sick. Like, but you can't see anything because you came up and there's just a courtyard everywhere. And I was like, hey, there's a guard here and I think they're here. And I, as soon as I exit, <laughs> I get, I walk right into one and I'm like, dang it. Yeah. yeah. So I really like the sequence. The sequence is great. Yeah, that sequence is awesome. Um, Very cool. And you can go into the kitchen, and the coolest thing about it is there's stuff there. You can just grab all the food. Yep. Like you, you can take the, it. And then there's, um, <laughs> I can't remember what else. Yeah, the jerky. And you can just, like, have it. And there's a few other parts throughout the game. I can't remember specifics. But um, when there are things present in a place, sometimes you can you can just grab it. Yep. And I think that's nice. Because you always want to do that in RPGs, but usually you can't. Yeah. It's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, a, a nice little stealth mechanics worked in. Just a fun sequence. Yeah, really. very fun. Loved it. Um, but then you get to you get deeper into the castle. You find more Margie is at, uh, and you're like, all right, you know, we're getting out of here, and uh, that's where the safe point is at, and where we had cho chosen to play up to. But yes. my last note here is that she grabs what looks like a little pink stuffed animal. Like, oh, I really yes. like this. I'm gonna yes. bring this with I, me. I do remember that. Uh, <laughs> this is a character named Choo Choo. Nice. The birth of Choo Choo. And, um, oh, wait a second. Is Choo Choo in the other Xeno games? No. Oh, okay. But there is a similar character type. I think I know. Which is the Nopon people. Yes. yes. In like Xenoblade. In Xenoblade, yeah. Okay. Whether it's hmm. Ricky in Xenoblade Chronicles or Tatsu in Xenoblade Chronicles mm. X. There's a bunch of Nopon in Xenoblade 2. They're, they're Moogle. It's the Moogle. Yeah. But it's the most annoying version of that character in any game I've ever played. Wow. I, I look forward to this. Choo Choo a lot. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, Choo Choo was. Can't I wait. looked this up. Choo Choo apparently disguises itself as a stuffed animal. 
So Margie was dragging around this stuffed animal that you found like in the markets in mm -hmm. Vladivik. <laughs> but it's choo-choo. So we're gonna get more choo-choo, a lot more choo-choo. There's some really freaking like meme-worthy choo-choo stuff in this game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and people who play will know exactly what I'm talking about. But I can't wait for you to see it. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see how it will land with you in certain very intense scenes where Choo Choo sits <laughs> there. Okay, well, so Choo Choo, but I take it as a comedic relief. Choo Choo sucks. Jokester. I hate Choo Choo. All right, But great. this is where Choo Choo enters the, enters the chat. And that's it for this week's uh, podcast. Thank you guys for watching. That's all we got. Appreciate you. Okay, so the point that we're going to want to play up to is, it's kind of hard to describe, but there's a place... I hope people don't consider the spoilers. There's a place where Ellie and Faye kind of have a little bit of a heart-to-heart -heart about her getting out of the army. He kind of encourages her to try to get out of the army. Mm -hmm. And he gets into his gear, and he enters a cave, and there's a save point right there, and there's another, like, kind of gear yeah, standing yeah. there next to it. That save point right there, that's the point you want to play up to. If I find out in an addendum how to put that better, <laughs> I will do that and <laughs> okay, we'll, okay. we'll say that instead as the place to play up to. But thank you for watching. Yes. We will see you again next week. Peace out. Peace.